All right, all right, all right. What's up, Jump Starters? I wanted to say just a little bit. <laughs> I know I can be very long-winded. I always talk about my dissertations. Uh, but this is a very special episode. Uh, it'll be a little bit longer episode, but well, well worth your listen. Um, so this came from a two-day, uh, what we're calling a Jumpstarter Virtual Summit that I held, uh, I guess, the very beginning of April. So for my coaching clients, I was supposed to have an in-person event, and based on all the COVID, uh, based on the corona, that did not happen, obviously, and I was just going to get on for two days and essentially just be on there because I already had it on my calendar. If anybody wanted to help, I was going to help them. Well, over the course of the uh, two weeks beforehand, some things happened, and I ended up with eight incredible guests. And one of those guests was Ryan Hanlon, who you're going to hear from today, uh, which I will say more about in a second. But some of those other guests included uh, Paul Xavier of Next Level Creators, who I've partnered up with now and really excited to be part of his team. And um, that was an incredible session, which people have loved. And then I also did one with my man, Ronnie Gordon, who is currently generating between $2,500 to $4,500 a month uh, with stock footage. He's one of my biggest success stories of a coaching client since I've been coaching from just a monetary. Everybody's had their successes, but he just never ceases to amaze me with the things that have happened. And he sold his company uh, for over half a million dollars a couple of years ago. And uh, he's crushing it. So that was a great session we had. And then I had Brett Culp, who essentially has had, I've known him for a long, long time. He's done $25,000 plus celebrity weddings. He's got a couple documentaries that are just amazing, amazing documentaries. Uh, Look to the Sky. And it is on um, Netflix and Hulu. And Amazon Prime, I believe, just came out as well. So pretty incredible there. He raised 80000 for his first documentary, and I chatted with him. And then I had Parker Wallbeck. Parker Wallbeck, a full-time filmmaker, is currently generating between around $250,000 a month with his course, the biggest online courses for helping filmmakers grow that there is. And so uh, some pretty incredible sessions that I had, to say the least. And if you'd like to listen to any of those other sessions, I have them already on a page. They'll be uh, sprinkled out potentially over the coming months here and there. Obviously, primarily, I, I, I stick to this podcast being solo sessions and then ultimately one-on-one sessions that I do with each of you. And so this is a special one because this isn't uh, this isn't a coaching session. This is me interviewing these experts. And Ryan Hanlon, who you're going to hear from today, he essentially gets on average between twenty dollars to $40,000 for school projects, and we have quite a story, which I won't go into here, but I took Ryan away from his uh, uh, career at the Four Seasons back in 2010. He had a wife and two kids, so I'll tell that whole story. He came and worked for me for a couple of years, and then he started Route 3 Films. If you would like to listen to those other sessions ahead of time and get a sneak peek, I'm giving those to people who want to do a trial with me of Coach In Your Pocket. So you can go to coachinyourpocket.net. Really simple to sign up. You click the button. The next page has you download an app called Voxer, and we'll get started, and I'll rock your world for a week, uh, helping you get unstuck, get untangled, get clear, gain greater levels of confidence and certainty and what uh, to do in these uncertain times. And so once you sign up, there's no obligation, uh, but I'll help you out for a week, and then I'll send you those links to the other, uh, to the other videos. So that's all I got for now. I hope you enjoy this episode, and uh, this is one of the, f- the favorites from the crew. So enjoy, keep rocking, keep rolling, and we'll talk soon. Take care.
There he is. You're hey, everybody. <laughs> Ryan Hanlon here, everybody. Uh, super excited to have you on, buddy. I know I was just telling him, uh, you know, we were on here and you started going off on a tangent, much like I would typically or always do. And I'm like, hold on, hold the pump the brakes. Let's, uh, let's talk about this all with everybody on here live. So I've, I've told a lot of people, you know, the story of how we initially, you know, met. You were working at the Four Seasons and, um, you know, you through your parents seeing me locally, you know, in Alton, uh, being in the newspaper. Well, like, oh, well, go ahead. Your, your uncle was my little league baseball coach, too. Oh. <laughs> little 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 fact a uh, little uh, fun fact there little factoid and then uh, and then your parents were saying hey you should connect with this 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 little kid and it's in in all he's doing video stuff and then we did the because uh, you're, you're 10 you're how old are you 41 or 42 uh, 42 so 30 gonna be 34 this year so you know 10 years apart and uh we do the Ozark Trail Association project together, and I oh, never yeah. camped outside. Thank God the weather was nice. <laughs> and, then, and then you said to me during that process, because I was great when we're like this. When I got you and we're present, I'm rocking and rolling. When I'm on shoot, I'm rocking and rolling. Outside of that, good luck. So you, <laughs> you're like, you know, I could really help you out. I don't think you don't return my phone calls. You don't get back to me. There's no communication here. And that's when I was really bad at communication. Um, he's like, I could probably help you out. And then little did you know that I was like, really? So we spent the next. <laughs> well, probably helped me out too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so, uh, so anyways, that was back in 2010. And then by December, you uh, quit your job at the Four Seasons. And then uh, the first weekend on Monday morning, I go, I'm going to New York City to see Tim Ferriss. And you're like, is he going to pay you? What's he doing? Travel costs? Like, what, you're not getting paid? And you're thinking, worst decision of my life, this guy that I just got hired by to take care of my whole family is automatically doing jobs for free. This is great. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think for, for the folks <laughs> who are joining us, I mean, I want to thank everybody for joining us today. And I hope you're all safe and your families and friends are safe. But uh, yeah, I mean, back in those days, you know, you get a guy like Michael Gevin approaching you and you're wearing a suit and tie, you're paying a mortgage, you have two little kids at home, you haven't shot a video in a while. You're kind of like, ah, this is crazy. What am I doing? <laughs> but uh, through the power of Michael, uh, he made me a believer and I took this huge risk to basically quit a career of 10 years and, uh, and work for Michael for almost three years. Uh, and I, I believe the deal was he was able to pay my salary for one year. Uh, and like he said, the first thing he told me the first day, and when, and when I was there working for him, my dad and I were repairing a wall at the building. <laughs> and then he's like, I'm going to New York city. And my dad looked at me like, what have you gotten yourself into? <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. So I'll, I'll, I'll fast forward. We, we, we went through the Tony Robbins stuff together. We went through a lot of stuff together over the two and a half years. I won't get into all of that right now. We separated around 2013. Um, I, always, I always have these breakups with people. That seems to be a trend in my life for good or bad or the better or worse. But uh, we didn't talk much for a couple of years, honestly. And it was in about 2015, you asked me to do some camera work again for you because yeah. um, of things we won't get into on this particular call. But, uh, you know, you started Route 3 in 2013, roughly in like September, October. and uh, Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I was beginning to identify these audiences, um, these folks in need, and also people that I was aligned with. And it was mostly schools and nonprofits. 
and Michael was at this, this point in his career where, you know, we were at this crossroads and he wanted to go left and I wanted to go right. And we just wanted to go and do this. And I, I, I came to Michael and was like, what do you think about this? What if I take the films that I have directed under your company name? Uh, I purchase the rights to use those films on my website and I go and build this crazy idea I have, uh, which is schools and nonprofits which a lot of people, even to this day, will say things like, how do you make a living working with schools and nonprofits? Um, but we've made a very good living and we've provided a good life. Uh, not only, you know, uh, being able to pay the bills, but being able to coach Little League and be active in my school, my kid's school and help out at church and things like that. And I have a very active social life. I race cars with my father. As Michael said, I build hiking trail in the woods. Um, you do a lot. <laughs> and I was able to do all that and more because I was seeking this balance by following a niche. And Michael taught me that very well was this idea that if you really truly believe in something and you have a knack for it, which I'll explain more about that with schools and nonprofits, it became so easy to me. It became so easy to generate income with schools and nonprofits because in those days I, I, I was not afraid to be bold. And one of the, the earliest things I would do is I would reach out to decision makers at colleges and universities, like presidents of the university. But I would CC three or four important people, like the director of marketing, the director of admissions, the, uh, uh, what do you call it, the campus life coordinator. So I created this like accountability uh, ladder. Uh, I don't think I've heard that actually before. So that's, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. When I, well, like when I, when I netted, uh, when I grabbed, uh, Illinois college, which was a big client, I sent Barbara Fraley, uh, a message, but I copied all the right people on it, you know, and this is, these are emails. How did you come across them to begin with? So I'm just going to keep probing in here and there. I mean, where did you find them? It was so easy because I was looking for a certain sized college. Um, but I also wanted it to be regional within about two hours of St. Louis. Uh, for legitimacy reasons. I didn't want to reach out to someone in like, you know, uh, San Diego, being from Missouri. I didn't want to seem like a scam. You know, Um, I also worked very hard to make sure that my website looked 100% healthy and strong and legitimate with a robust social media uh, footprint. We'll talk about that a lot in this call probably is this idea of uh, digital legitimacy. I needed that digital legitimacy so that when I sent those types of powerful, bold emails out to people, that when they then said, oh, I'm going to go visit this guy's footprint online, holy crap, he's worked with Wash U, he's worked with St. Louis Public Schools, and he's done some really cool nonprofit work. He is very legitimate. I'm going to respond to the email. But in my email, I would say things like, you have a fantastic website. I know a few people that have attended your college. I am a fan of this school. It's a beautiful campus. So why are you not telling your story better? Here's some examples of some schools that have told their story very well. I think you should do what they're doing. If not with me, with someone. Good day. <laughs> and people would respond to those emails. Presence of universities. Would well, it's respond. back to, there's, there's a real power. Those emails. Well, real quick, there's a real power that I don't think we always recognize that when people are being sold to, it's when you'll say, it's back to the order taker, master chef, somebody who says yes to everything, no matter what, there's a level of distrust that happens and selling that they definitely feel. Someone who's willing to just say, 
here's the things, da, 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 whether with me or somebody else, obviously you're not being sold to as much because you're literally saying you could use somebody else. Like, I just want to make sure that you do this or you tell your yeah. story. Um, so it's just a fascinating thing that sometimes we have no awareness and you just naturally did, but it's a powerful well, thing. But let's, let's help everyone understand that. So coming from the hotel background that I had, I spent five out of 10 years at one of the finest hotels in San Diego the Hyatt Regency in La Jolla, California. I was recruited to come home and open the nicest hotel in St. Louis, the Four Seasons, the first time we ever had a brand like that in a town like this. Um, so I was used to the attitude and the perspective that I don't sell. You can come to my hotel and experience an incredible event with fantastic audiovisual and great food and great service, or you can go somewhere else. Because probably when you go somewhere else, the Adams Mark or, you know, the, the other hotel down the street, you're not going to have the experience. I had the confidence in my hotel and my brand and my team that I built that when they come to my hotel, it's going to be first rate experience. So all I did was just carry that into my. And so let me nuance again. You did the same thing that we've been, you missed the two other calls, but this was something that happened as well. So you had the experience in the hotel, but then the three years together gave you yeah. the runway so then by the time you went out on your own in 2013, again, we, I keep trying to create the process for people because we all yes, see things and it's like, oh, wait, he just started school. Boom, cool. Or like the guy with real estate, I'll just do yeah. real estate. It's, you had the confidence, you had the runway, you had the portfolio built up to then confidently go to these people and which I know Joe Monzo wants to, to hear as well, like that, how you were able to get more higher rates out yes. of the gate. But if we go back to when you started with me in like Alton High School, those were two and three thousand dollar projects, right? I mean, yeah, those were fifteen thousand dollar projects. Yeah, and 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 more so. Um, thanks for bringing me back to that, Gabs, because I am skipping ahead a little bit. Oh, so, um, so when I was working with Michael, uh, kind of operating the day to day business to give him a break from several years of working his tail off, um, I began to look at these other ways to generate revenue for his business. Now he was working his butt off, doing forty weddings a year, and that is. A lot. I mean, two and three person teams do 20 weddings a year, maybe. Um, so what did I do? I, I looked around and I thought about what I knew. I knew schools because my mother worked for the Alton School District. My sister worked for the Alton School District. My fiance wife works for the Alton School District. And I know that schools need to recruit and they need to tell their story better. Alton, Illinois, where Michael and I are from, is a little river town, you know, about uh, 40 minutes north of St. Louis, um, a town that's experiencing a renaissance that is a great place to live, but occasionally would get a bad rap for this or that or the next thing. And unfortunately, media likes to blame schools, or if there's a crime near a school, they'll mention it. That's a whole nother story. Um, but Alton School District is a good school district that I had connections with. Yep. So I had nothing to lose. And Michael, it's very similar to the example with the universities. I was just getting started on a smaller scale yep. with nothing to lose with people that knew my name. So when they got yep. the email, when they got the email that said Hanlon, they're like, well, Dottie Hanlon works for the district. I know who Jim Hanlon is. I know Laura. And I talk about that. You start the domino, right? We got to go yes. to where it's the most warmest, the most hot, the most yeah. relevant, the most connected. Because when we go outside of that to begin with, it's, it's a so much sell. more difficult. Yeah. You go for, the, the, go for the mothership or the, the, the jugular right out of the gate with no portfolio, no digital footprint, yeah. no digital Disney, no relationships. They're hard to open those doors. I've gotten lucky a few times with still strategic moves, but like sure. I still had my own footprint before some of those things happened. 
Yeah. So, and, and that's exactly the example I use a lot of people. I'm like, we are not the empire, right? We are the rebellion. We are the uh, special forces team that fly under dark of night. There's three or four of us that are really good at our job and we slide in there and we make stuff happen. And that was the idea in Alton. I was like, I wanted to infiltrate <laughs> the school district because I knew the assistant superintendent. I knew she would open my email. And I said, hey, what do you think about us making a video about the district and you placing it on your homepage, which at the time was like, the holy well, how do we do that, man? Whoa! But I also knew that if she said yes, I would help her every step of the way. I'd figure out a way to get that video on that website because I promised it. So to Michael's point, we started small and we started local. And we were able to work with that school. We were able to make a killer promo video like they'd never seen. People would call them like movie trailers for schools. And Joe probably knows exactly what I'm talking about. Yep. Um, and she was like, mind blown. And then we helped them put it on the website. And a quick side story is that when they put it on the website, it just looked like the old image that was there before and nobody was clicking on it. I remember that. that. We talked about this. And so we kind of Photoshopped a play button and a click here to play new video. And I swear to God, like by that evening, they had a couple thousand views, which again, you're talking about 2011, yep. late 2011 people getting a couple thousand views via their website. I mean, it was huge. So to Michael's point, I started local and I started small and then I would just build on that. And again, I had credibility. I had legitimacy. I was like, Oh, the Alton school district trusted me. And then the someone the Riverbend Head Start trusted me. And I started to build these little kind of like, um, pockets of these pockets of legitimacy in my town. The other thing that I would do guys locally, and again, I'm, you know, being from a town of 30, 40,000 people, I could do this. I would basically create my own buzz. So not only would I tell the Alton school district, you know, that we're going to make a great video for you and we're going to help you all the way along the trail to get it on the website. I would call this the post-dispatch, not the post of the telegraph, which is our newspaper. I call Riverbender. I email them. I'm like, Hey, I've got a story for you because it's always a slow news day. Did you know that Alton High or, or Alton School District is using video now to tell their story better? And they're like, oh, let's do a story on this Ryan Hanlon guy who was working with Michael Gubbin. And I started to show up in the newspaper and the company would show up in the newspaper. And then when I went out on my own, I would like donate a welcome to Alton sign. And there's me and my dad, you know, standing in front of a welcome to Alton sign. So I was always trying to create massive legitimacy, not only with what I was creating, but who I was as a brand, like a hometown guy who's done well um, and gives back. And that's really what solidified what we were doing in Alton. And then I began to just look bigger and say, well, I want to work with more schools, but I want to stay in this two hour kind of radius of St. Louis. And that's when I really began to say, Michael, can I spread my wings here? And can I try this? Yeah. Um, and that's when route three kind of began to take off. And I only had two jobs lined up at that time. I had a very strong portfolio from Michael. I had a dear friend uh, who still works with us now, uh, Sven Drumev from the Four Seasons, who helped me with my website. So I had kind of like all of the, all of the things in place that, that, that made me look and feel successful. But I had two jobs lined up, just two, when I said goodbye to Michael and a guaranteed paycheck. And after that, it was hustle mode 24-7. <laughs> to say and the cut. least <laughs> <laughs> <Insane>. <laughs> yeah. you know it's it's it, and that's why i've been trying to you know 
I feel like even some of the people that people may or may not have seen that I'll have on here over the next couple of days that are being interviewed, I was just telling them before this, it's trying to probe into those things because all of us, including myself, we can gloss over, hit the surface. And then we see this, this surface level stuff and then people listen in and it gets dumbed down. And we just talk about easy. I was joking out sometimes, you know, when people, we've joked that, you know, we both, we all do it, but you know, I'm like, Ryan, you do this sometimes. You say it's so easy. And it's like, there's that level of when somebody who, who's having struggles or they're struggling with making something happen, somebody says something's easy, it's even more frustrating because they can sit here and um, hear things and then only hear the surface and they miss out. Oh, well, Ryan was in this for 10 years. He had a video background, which we haven't even mentioned from Webster University. Like you were in film, didn't do anything yeah. with it except for kind of within twank but you weren't the video like you were not doing video i was planning i was planning large-scale events so let's help everybody with that as well since we you know michael and i are usually used to talking for three hours so we're trying to keep this kind of tight today um you know i grew up you know a child of the of the late 80s early 90s uh i would be in the backyard directing scenes with my friends I'd be like, I'm going to get shot and I'm going to fall to the ground and you're going to pick me up. So I always had a knack for loving film, loving acting. I acted in high school. Uh, I went to a Webster University where I studied film and video production, audio production, lots of acting for the camera. Uh, I, wanted, I almost wanted to be an actor, director more than I wanted to do anything. I was obsessed with narrative filmmaking and here I am, this documentary filmmaker now. Um, so I had that kind of background, right? Um, that sometimes, sometimes people don't realize that a lot of times people are like, Hey, this route three thing, like, this is great. And I'm like, well, dude, I've been trying to do this really forever. <laughs> That's what I mean. So, it's not, it, it, people get frustrated because their dream, their, their ambition doesn't come true in six months or even six no, years, no. but you know, everybody's got their different story, you know? Well, and I came out of college in 1999, which, uh, you know, for those of you that, that understand what the world was like in 1999, you know, you couldn't just walk out and buy a DSLR and start a website and freelance. It just didn't happen. There was a handful of video production companies in town that were big because video production back then was big. And expensive. And you either knew someone or you didn't. You either went there and basically worked for free until someone gave you a job operating the teleprompter or you didn't. And that was that. And that was the future I was staring down after I graduated from a fantastic university with tons of experience, with a, with a robust demo reel. I mean, I was the one guy in film school who actually finished his films. A lot of my classmates didn't even finish them. And I was like, in class, like, wait, I thought we were supposed to have a finished product, you know, but I didn't, I couldn't get a job in video production and it was heartbreaking. Yeah. And I had this crazy opportunity to go overseas with my big brother who took me to Ireland for eight days. And when we were in Ireland, he said, why don't you take 90 days before you go start whatever career it is you're going to start and travel and have an experience like this. And I was like, my brother, the attorney from a working class, blue collar family, we'd never been out of the Midwest, takes me to Ireland and gives me this profound advice. So I was like, holy shit, I think I'm going to move to Ireland for six months and become the American actor in Ireland. <laughs> so I sold my car. I invited my best friend who was was struggling like I was at the time. He sold his car. We took what little money we had. We lived in Ireland for six months. And I had headshots. I had my VHS tapes, my super VHS tapes. And I was knocking on doors and going to agencies. I mean, hell, after that, after that experience, I spent two weeks in New York City knocking on doors, you know, a young kid trying to get any type of video production, acting, modeling, 
you know, selling candy bars. You were hitting a lot of uh, doors that didn't open, right? No, none of those doors opened. And (laughs) Ireland became actually a fantastic adventure. And it became more about my friend meeting the love of his life and improving his life and us coming back home and realizing that he was now moving to California, was going to get married and started his life, which prior to Ireland, that he had no life, you know, neither of us did. I came home and was like, well, shit, I'm glad he's happy. And I'm glad he's living his life now. But my dad was like, hope you had a good time. Your student loans start in two months. <laughs> so people have to realize that like, I wasn't making videos back then. I wouldn't do anything. You know, I was trying to get a job to pay for my student loans. Yeah. And what ended up happening is I was sitting on the couch in my sister's house and she says, hey, there's this company called Swank Audiovisuals. And I was like, is that a porno company? What is that? <laughs> like, no, she's like, it's a family name. The company, the, Tim Swank is the owner. And I was like, this is so weird. And they did audiovisual in hotels. So an audiovisual team would be embedded inside of a hotel and they would handle everything from a podium microphone to a huge rock concert. So I was like, well, I got to get a job. And I remember going to the job interview and I had like my demo reel and I showed it to them and they were like, yeah, that's really cool. But can you operate an overhead projector? <laughs> like, I, yeah, that's, that's cute. Do you know what a flip chart is? And they hired me and I and just put the, it put the suit on and put the suit until, on. Until Michael Gavin came along. He wore that I, suit proud. And- <laughs> but what I tried to do as I worked my way through that career, all the way up to 10 years at the top of the game is I was always trying to incorporate video into whatever I did. And a lot of times people would come and visit our hotels and they had to select a hotel for an event. So I would put video on the screens or I'd pull video from their company and we'd put them on the screens. We'd put pictures, you know, I was always trying to use video as a sales tool and the salespeople in the hotel were like, thank you. Thank you. We got the business because of the experience they had when they walked in the ballroom where you put their name on all the screens in the breakout rooms. Thank you for doing that. Yeah. I wasn't getting paid to do that. Yeah. I didn't get a commission if somebody chose the hotel, but for me, it was fulfilling to be part of the selling process and using my kind of like video creative ways. Uh, in fact, near the end of my tenure in San Diego, I actually made a promotional video for the hotel and they were just like, how did you do that? You know? And I'm like, I just wanted to do it. Like yeah. I wanted to have this creative outlet Yeah. and it just happened. So it's always trying to incorporate video into what I was doing at whatever level of success. So let's, that let's take it. So I'm going to try to reel in here to go to 2018, 2019 and some of the stuff that I know people want to hear now and some of the stuff that you were just trying to start telling me before I get yep. to that for a second, I always talk about you from this aspect. Um, I'd love to know a little bit about, I bring up editing, you know, some people, they know how to edit, they know how to shoot, they know how to do everything. And so there's that level of, well, Nobody can edit better than me, but I don't really love editing, but there's that battle. But because they know how to do it, they'll definitely do it. And from ground zero, at least through the whole time you were with me and alone, you didn't know how to use Final Cut or Adobe Premiere or any of the software. Right. But in that not knowing, you still have a much higher level of involvement in editing than I do throughout my entire career. It's like, I'll hand it over. If it looks great, I'm happy. And off it goes. You still like to have the involvement, but I always joke, if there's 30 hours of editing to spend, you might spend an hour or two. I would have spent 10, 20 minutes. But like, what never had you actually, and maybe it's just because of the timing when you came into me and I had editors, but what made you never fully 
learn great or even question. right now learn the whole shooting learn all the editing right such such a great question so i uh i hate editing it's the worst man i mean ask my editors i can't sit still for five seconds well, i know um, that <laughs> and, and i had to edit in college. You. yeah i mean i had to edit in college we used to do deck to deck editing which was so archaic which probably none of your audience even can relate to we would do we'd edit real film like film where you cut it and splice it. I mean, it was so editing for me when I was coming up in the game was so old and archaic. And then avid was coming along and that was like, Oh my God, like my creativity can move quicker now. So it just made more sense to me to figure out what I was good at, what I was bad at, what I loved, what I hated and figure out how that all would work for me. And what happened at Webster University is I realized I was a born director. I was a born director actor. And I told you those stories about being in the backyard with my friends, directing scenes. Whenever there was a camping trip, I'd plan the whole thing. I was always the guy that was in charge. Because didn't you, you get know? editor? Like you would delegate out what you should have been editing in, in college, right? So, yeah. <laughs> so in college, we'd have these big, we had advanced filmmaking, which is top of the top, you know, senior level projects where you're shooting on film, like big airy cameras. And a lot of times people would try and take everything on themselves because they're an artist or because they have the vision or this or that. I was okay with just being the director and being the actor and guiding the process. I didn't need the glory of walking around with a light meter. I didn't need the glory of editing the film. I wanted to be a director. So I had a lot of self-awareness before I even knew what that word was. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> Those words sure. were when I was, when I was in college so I was always kind of a director. And what I did is I found myself aligning with people that I would spend time with in the dorms or have a beer with. And my good buddy, Tim Hook, was a born editor. He didn't want to act. He, didn't, he acted a little bit, but he didn't want to do all that stuff. He loved the creative process of editing. So we began to identify ourselves as two sides of the same coin. And I was like, we can help each other through this thing called college. You know, I can help you direct and I can help your actors. You can help me with my projects and vice versa. So from day one, I was totally okay with the idea of a team. Made so much sense to me. And, yeah. you know, and I was always a very kind of like average athlete, if that. But I worked my ass off and I believed in, in a team and the structure of a team. I even tell my kids that now when they play sports. Um, I play a lot of basketball on Sunday nights. I'm not a great offensive player, but I'm a nasty defensive player <laughs> and I can pass with the best of them. So I just focus on that. And I'm very conservative when I shoot the ball. In fact, I tell my kids, I only shoot the ball on Sunday nights when I know that sucker is probably going to go in. And so that mindset has always been part of my life. In a lot yeah. of ways, I've always kind of been a born director. I've never been like, I need to be responsible for all these roles. So in college, I would get the best cinematographer, the best editor, we'd all team up and do my project together. And my project was always completed on time. So that kind of echoed throughout my career at the hotel. I was in charge of audio technicians, projectionists, which are guys and gals that operate um, anything video related. They were called projectionists, riggers, uh, lighting guys. I was always responsible for these teams. And in St. Louis, which is a union city, I wasn't even allowed to touch some equipment. Now, when I would set stuff up because my technician was running late, well, I got a slap on the wrist, but the equipment was set up on time. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I was always just kind of born and bred to work within that setting. Yeah, you know? And I'd walk into those ballrooms as the director of the event. 
and make sure everything was responsible. And the client would come to me to complain. They wouldn't go to the audio tech or the rigger. They would come to me and I would have to work through that complaint. So I just, you know, and then once I started route three films, there, there was no need for me to bog down my time with, with over involving myself in post-production. I found a couple of editors that understood my style, understood my music needs, understood my perfectionist ways, as Michael knows, and we quickly got up to a rhythm. And sometimes an editor will say, Ryan, I totally get this. I'm going to get this thing 70% complete, come in for the last 30. There'll be other times where editors like, I just can't even get started on this. And I'm like, here's what we're going to do. Here's the vision. Here's how, let me pick the music for you. Let me get you going. And then you go and work for eight hours or something and I'll come back tomorrow or the next day and we'll be in a much better place. So again, I'm still kind of like coaching. And you stay, yeah. But you stay in the role of client management, connection, relationships well, on site. Generate more revenue. Yeah. You always talk about keeping the pipeline. And that problem is, is every time someone goes and fills the pipeline up, they clog the pipeline back up because then they spend a month working on the pipeline they just filled, you know, and you have that ability to keep kind of a rhythm moving forward because overall you're staying in relationships and connecting and selling and in that aspect and on site in the 150 hours a month that could be spent editing. If it was you editing, isn't being spent. You're spending five or 10 hours of that time. Well, and I don't want to be a big company. You know that Yeah, I know. Uh, we've never, neither of us have ever desired that. Um, but I'm able to keep about two and a half editors busy. Uh, without, you know, a worldwide virus outbreak. Um, <laughs> you know, for almost, what, seven or eight years now, I've been able to keep about two and a half editors busy. They're just guys that really just work for me for the most part. Um, my main shooter, Jimmy, has been busy with me for years. Michael steps up oftentimes to be another shooter for us. Um, and that's kind of it. But I can generate a lot of revenue. I can send out a lot of emails. I can go and visit people. Michael, you know how I love to meet my clients in person and kind of, you know, let them know that I'm here for whatever they need. Clients that may have not worked for me for two years are still reaching out to me and saying, Hey, how's your dad doing? Are you guys still racing cars? I got an idea for a project. I really want to work with you. We don't have any money yet, but I want to touch base. Do you remember real quick? I can't, I can't generate more revenue if I'm sitting around with the editors or I'm editing myself, I'm able to keep all of those people busy by generating that much work. Of course, of course. And so can you remember back for a second um, to even 2013, what was some of those jobs initially and the price ranges? Did you already have, I know we had had some $15,000 school project. Yeah. But just kind of where you were in that trajectory of what you charge and how you come up with that, that in your mind. Total transparency, guys. I had two $20,000 projects lined up. It was the late summer, early fall, 2013. But let me give you the backstory here. So those are two projects that I staked the next 10 years of my life on, right? Um, One of them was the St. Louis Public School District, a huge district in St. Louis that had literally done no marketing. What they had done in the past is they would pay a large ad agency probably six figures to make them one video. But let me tell you the story of St. Louis Public Schools. My children were attending St. Louis Public Schools when I first moved here from San Diego. And we were at a little magnet school up in Dogtown. And I loved the school. And I genuinely loved the teachers. And I genuinely thought, these 
ladies and gentlemen need my help. I'm going to make them some free video content. So we made a little recycling video for free and we made a little promo video for the school. And it was just my way of saying, I love this place. I'm so happy with you guys. I want you to win. You know, my kids may even be going to a Catholic school in a couple of years when this, when they outgrow this school, but I'm not going to stop cheering for you. So what happened is the district said, who made these really great looking videos for free for Wilkinson? Oh, that's our buddy, Ryan. He's a parent. I think he has a company or something. It opened a door for me. And then I kicked that door open. I mean, I dressed well. I went down to the district. I sat with him for hours, explained concepts and ideas. I was never selling. It was always like, you should consider this. You could try this. This is what others have done. This is what I have done. What do you think? What, what if we do St. Louis public school stories, SLPS stories, and you guys just celebrate the good things that are happening in your district versus letting channels two, four, and five tell some fabricated version of it every night at 5 p.m. I had the PR guy at St. Louis public schools tell me stories like there would be a shooting five blocks from the school, had nothing to do with the school, but they would include the school in the run story that they would run. And I was like, this is how you punch back. You create your own authentic and beautiful content. And then you push it out and you put it on Facebook and you decide how you're, it's going to be your response to every crappy story that people try and run about you. And they were like, Hey, we're in how much? And I was like 20 grand. And they were like, hell yeah. Because they probably spent 120 grand with a big agency in town. See, that's a shock and all. That's what people would have got one video. They would have got one video. And my process was never one video. It's always a series or a year's worth of content. I used to love to tell people, you know, for twenty dollars or $40,000, I can give you almost a year to a year and a half worth of video content. And I want to tie that in because you say that, but that doesn't mean 40 films either. <laughs> no, sir, it's not. No, it doesn't. No. You it, know, it, some it, people it, think, it, oh, it, a year's worth of content is a video multiple times a week for a year versus how many would that be for, say, 25000 20,000. Uh, do the exact one. Do the exact one you've been already given. That story. I just did one. I'm doing one right now. Yeah. Um, so what, for me, it's always like, what does the client need? What serves them? Not necessarily what, what I, what I want to push on them. So one of my big clients here in town, a big university is, uh, redoing their curriculum. This is massive. This is a postgraduate, uh, medical level program that is completely restructuring the curriculum. They do not need a promo. Plus, I've already done a promo for them. (laughs) They need to tell the story of why they are doing this curriculum rollout. So what we've devised is about six films that are just one-person extended interviews that dive into why redesigning a curriculum at this level, at this scale, is important. That's about a $15,000 or $20,000 project. But those six films are going to be kind of, you know, organically handmade we take a lot of time with the post-production there's a you lot just give of me because i don't know that as well typically because I'm, I'm making some stuff up in my mind but say take a while handmade you know say these things but like if you could condense all the time for that fifteen thousand dollar project how many days do you think that would actually be if you could condense for me for you the editing the shooting days like do you know how many days roughly that might be uh, that was two days. This is a great question. That's only two days of shooting. Michael was on that shoot. Okay, I thought uh, that was the one. Two days of about. shooting, and Michael was at a pretty easy shoot. Yes, <laughs> your shoots are always <laughs> the only words, you're the only person I'll shoot for because of how easy they are. <laughs> it, was, it was a breeze. You know, it was a yeah. two-day easy shoot, all interviews. And you um, paid so well. A client I've worked with uh, for a long time, 
So I have a wealth of, of B-roll and I don't need to shoot any B-roll for them. So two days of shooting, my editor's currently working with it. We've had a few in-depth conversations about the project. Obviously I attended a couple of meetings, a couple of phone calls in the pre-production phase, which I don't necessarily say that I charge for. Um, we just make a good product and we charge a, a, a robust sum. So I don't say that I charge for meetings and stuff. Yeah, like you're that. not nickel and diming every line item Never. activity that People, you do. Yet. If you saw my invoices, you'd scratch your head because it just says uh, you know, summer, summer 2020 video production project, 15 grand, 20 grand. And sometimes I'll break that into two invoices or three invoices because I've developed these relationships with these clients where they're like, I don't want to work with anybody else. He understands exactly what we need. Uh, and he's a friend. Like I was texting Jenny the other day about her kids and how they're doing and stuff like that. I've developed these because I want to be friends with these people. I want them to want. And that's to a huge thing that people, again, when you go deep in an area, which has been part of the theme as well throughout today, you can't develop this if you're always just all over the place and different things. It's hard to go. It's hard to develop friendships with people you talk to once every seven years, you know, versus people you get to know and you develop that bond and there's that depth there versus, again, very surface. Um, well, well, let's help everyone understand a little bit more about that because I think it's important not to gloss over that because for me, it's, it's, a, it's an element of vulnerability. And that word gets thrown around a lot sure. these days. Uh, but I think for good reason. Um, I did a project a couple more than a couple years ago um, that was for me and it was for my dad and was for us. When I first made the project, it was just for us, right? But then at one point I thought, this is really good content. I'm going to put this on my website. I'm going to do a write-up about it, and I'm going to fully own this. And it may fall on its face, or clients might be like, you know what? That dude is just a regular guy who gives a shit about what he does, loves his family, has some fun hobbies. It could have went either way, right? It could, it could go either way. And I'm not going to sugarcoat how scary it is to be vulnerable. And, and the thing that my dad's involved with isn't this cosmopolitan thing. It's, it's drag race and old cars, you know? It's not exactly uh, polo, you know, in West County. Um, but I thought, what the hell? This is an honest, authentic story. And we made this little three-part series called The Return of the Wagon. It's a station wagon race car, which is even worse, you know? But people just loved the story. They loved the honesty. They loved the vulnerability. And a lot of times I will use that little film series as a teaching tool. And I'll say, well, do you remember the Return of the Wagon series? Do you remember what I tried to do there with my own personal vulnerability? That's what you should be doing with the school. Or that's what you should be doing with the issue with your coach. Yeah, so the idea that people have these passion projects, ultimately the theme is always, I see it across everybody, it's their passion projects that led to their paid projects per se, right? It's, it's that it's merging those two and, and being able to utilize these things that people think, well, I can never get that done and nobody will pay me to do it. And I can't get the yeah. premium, but it's, it's, you can do these creative things like that that allow you to then leverage that to these big paid opportunities. Well, and it's risk reward, you know, that was low risk, high reward. And what I did to kind of like uh, proof that, that case study, you know, to collect data, if you will, is I leveraged kind of the car community. And there's a website called Bang Shift, which means like, you know, Bang Shift, like hot rod. And they were pumping out content all the time. And I, and I emailed these guys and I sent them links on Vimeo. And I said, hey, I've got a project. I've got a, a concept. I've got a three-part film series. You could release it on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I want nothing for it. 
I just think your audience will dig it. And they were like, holy crap, this guy just gave us content, told us how to use it, when to release it. Hell yes, we're going to release it. And I was getting like thousands of views on my little Vimeo page uh, of those three films. I was getting notes from guys in New Zealand about this reminded me of my dad and the car we used to work on. I mean, it was like something I did. For and I want people to know too, that there's an example. I was talking about this before you got on, but see you, some things can happen. Like actually the Richard Branson thing I had, I didn't pursue that. That happened from something else I did for free, but perfect example there. You seek that out. You didn't just make the films and then hope they got viewed, hope that people found them, hope that people saw them. It's yeah. like you leverage that stuff to create opportunity. And, and I think that that's where a lot of people take for granted is they do things. And because in fact, one of my clients with video, you know, they sell big things about PR and everything. But one of the biggest things is that the PR itself, the, 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 the news media itself, most times doesn't do anything. It's the leveraging of when you're trying to get that speaking gig and you can put that in a reel where you've been on da, 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 because they're like you're saying, there's that digital legitimacy, even though when they were on, you know, I even heard like Lewis Howes was saying when he was on Ellen, he's like, he had a spike in his website visits for like 24 to 48 hours. And that was it. That was it. And then Mm -hmm. from there, the leveraging of being on Ellen has been indefinitely invaluable to him. But the actual being on Ellen in the moment didn't do that much in the big picture. Uh, well, it's no different than, so like that, that wagon example was a, was an example of vulnerability with myself and my brand and then proudly putting that on the website, hoping for the best. But then if you return to that other example of those two first schools, I got St. Louis public school district, you know, a, a decent payday. And then I had another school way down in Joplin, Missouri, which is about four hours from here. The only reason I even knew about these people is because I volunteer for the Ozark Trail Association, which is a really super fun organization where we go out and we build hiking trail by hand. And we have these fun events where there's camping and music. It's all free, free food, um, big bonfire. Michael got to go to one of these events when we made a promo for him years ago. And I still work with him. I consult for free. I mean, I do so much behind the scenes with these guys. I give them money um, because I want them to win, right? Well, one of the volunteers, an older gentleman, knew me, had built trail with me side by side in the woods, was like, Ryan, I like what you're doing. I have this school down in Joplin I want to introduce you to. He's like, the guy that started this school owns a giant like construction roofing company, but he believes in education and he started his own independent school in Joplin, Missouri. I find myself in a four-hour car ride with this 60-year-old guy who I build trail with. He set the meeting up. He opened the door for me and I just went in there and had nothing to lose and showed him my work, explained my philosophy, why they should do this. If they don't do it with me, do it with somebody else. And the only reason I had that second job was because the relationship I developed with this gentleman through a little nonprofit entity that I enjoy spending time with. So you just can't undervalue relationships. You know, and if you're beating yourself up and you think you're not getting enough work or this or that or the next thing, sometimes you just got to hit the pause button and say, who is around me in my world? Who are the people that I know? Who are the people that I can serve? And how bad do I really love video? Because if I do, I'm just going to go serve others. Like, I'm just going to go in and help. You know, I'm, I'm not a real crazy religious guy or anything, but I grew up Catholic, and that's a, that's a religion of service. And our high school had this motto, Serviam. So I just believe in that idea of serving others. And if you have this creative ability as a photographer, an editor, a videographer, a painter, a fill in the blank, why not 
at least flex that muscle creatively for yourself, but by doing good for others and something good will come. And you've just got to believe that if you, if you don't believe that, I think nothing that Michael and I are saying is going to make any sense. I love it, man. No, it's just, it's, it's reaffirmation of things that I, I, I hammer out all the time. And I think over today and tomorrow, it's bringing it and affirming it through others. And they get to see other stories versus me telling the stories. It's now like, yeah, see, these people are saying these things. And, and we can tie those little themes together to kind of connect the dots and then find what's going to work best for each individual. Um, well, so I want to go, go ahead, ahead Mike. Well, I'm just going to say one last thing is, is that I want to add is about motivation, right? Um, what motivates you? What has motivated you to become a videographer? What has motivated you to become a photographer? What is that motivating factor in your life? And Michael knows this well when I came to him all those years ago. You know, his business was getting to a point where he could use some help, but I really wanted out of my situation. I wanted out of that hotel so bad. You know, 2007, 2008, economy collapses. We are, we are released of all of this help that we had and guys and gals that were performers had to stay. And I, I mean, I work a lot of hours in the hotel, but I was working even more and I had little kids at home. We had a very close friend who dropped dead at age 40. And I remember arguing with my area manager about the funeral and whether or not I could go and time away from the hotel. And I was like, what am I doing? I hate this so much. I love the hotel. I love my work. I love the people I serve and the people I work, but I couldn't stand leadership. And I couldn't stand being under their thumb anymore. And I used to tell Michael how badly I wanted some free time, how badly I wanted to take my kids on a hike or a weekend trip, but there was no time, you know? And I was a performer. I was, I was, I cursed myself because I liked working hard and delivering. Mm -hmm. But at some point I was like, well, who am I delivering for anymore? Other than the people in, in the room with me, like they say in the military, you're fighting for the guy next to you in the foxhole. You're not fighting for some grand concept. You're trying to stay alive. And that's what I was trying to do. So to get out of that and go work for Michael, even if it only lasted a year or two, hell yeah, I was going to give it a try, man. With every fiber of my being, I needed that change in my life. So and, that was, and I've seen that too as a theme here. And that's that idea that most people, it's an inciting incident, right? Like right now, everyone's got this big inciting incident that is the coronavirus that's pushing them deeper down, whatever. And that's the thing, what people forget. This is only exaggerating everything for everyone. And so if you were a person who unfortunately had depression before this, you're probably even more depressed. If you are a person who is optimistic, you're even potentially have level, higher levels of optimism of what could come out of this. Like there's so many little nuances that are just being exaggerated. Like if you hated your job, this is basically killed that job. Now you have that ability that you wouldn't have had. You might've stayed at that job. Like if this was back then, this would have been your boom, nail in the coffin, right? I'm gone from the four seasons because this has forced that now. Um, and so real quick, because I, I want to make sure, we're going to stay a little longer for you anyways, because I have, we already talked about that, but I want to make sure we talk about um, what you were firing off here while we, well, before we got on the call. Um, and then there's, yeah, stuff piling, there's stuff piling up too that I want to make sure. We'll, we'll probably go for about 12 minutes here on, on some things there and then just take some Q&A from the people for a half hour or so. Yeah, and I'm 100% available for you guys as long as you need me. Uh, so as Michael said, let's fast forward to now. So look, we all had a collective oh shit moment here recently. I mean, that's real for everybody. That's real for people that are doing video for a living or doing video for a hobby, right? I mean, this was a big oh my God moment. Um, 
and I was listening to Gary Vaynerchuk and hopefully some of you guys know who Gary is and, and, and follow, uh, follow him. And his word that stood out in my mind was innovate. And Michael and I talked about that too. This is the time for innovation. So the first thing I did is I just emailed a lot of core clients. I didn't do this big blast. I just emailed a lot of core people that know me and know me well. And I said, look, this is the time to share what you have created. The, the, the clients of mine that I've made several projects for, let's have a discussion about how you need to release this content. The clients that only have one video, let's have a discussion about how you're going to re-release this video content. You must now release video content. And, you know, a, a lot of people went radio silent, but a handful of people were like, oh my God, I needed this. I don't know what to do. What should I do? And I would just lay out a plan or I'd say, do this, do this, do, you know, boost to this post. Help. You know, I just wanted to help. And I thought, if there's nothing else that'll come out of this, I will just help the people I can. And hopefully whatever I have to say makes some sort of sense to them. And then yesterday, this, this idea came to me. And again, it's, it's not out of anything other than service to others. And I was thinking, like, we can't technically film with people right now. We can't get that beautiful B-roll that we like. And we can't, we can't do all those things that we want to do. But now we get a pass. It doesn't matter if it's out of focus. It doesn't matter if it's poorly lit in my back room or something. It doesn't matter. Story matters now more than ever. And Michael knows this. That's all I really give a shit about. I don't care about the cameras. I don't care about that crap. Story and sitting with someone and having a beautiful interview where we're both almost on the edge of tears and we don't even know why sometimes. It's just like human connection, right? So I emailed a core group of clients and I was like, here's what I think you should do. I think you should ask your audience to bring the content to you. Tell your parents and your students and your teachers with their little computer here or their iPhone to get on there and give us a message of hope or ask them a question, help them with the script, so to speak, but get them to generate video content and then bring that to me and let me do what I do well with my editors, handpick some music, figure out which direction to go with it and generate thoughtful content. And it was kind of an, oh, oh my God moment. This is a pretty good idea. And a lot of people were like, we want to run with this. What do we need to do? What do you think this is going to cost? What's the plan? But what I did before I did all of that, and this is really important, is I went to one of my very good core client friends, Jenny, very good friends with her. I mentioned her earlier. I brought the idea to her first. And I said, Jenny, I think you understand this. You got a great group of kids. You got a great program. Enough of those people know me and trust me. I'll do this for you first and for free because then I have a case study. I have digital legitimacy now. I've done it for free for someone that needs it and deserves it, who I love dearly as a friend and a client. So I've fulfilled that. You know, I've flexed that muscle, right? It's easier to sell something that you have a sample of versus conceptual. Exactly. So now, not just during this time. Always. All the time. So now I'll have a case study and maybe the case study goes nowhere. Maybe it just serves my good friend client. That's okay. But now I have the case study. And what I've done today is I've sent out a number of emails to a number of clients saying, this is what's happening. I'll be finishing this soon. Happy to share the case study with you. What do you think? And people are responding, right? And at my core, all I'm trying to do is serve but I'm trying to create, I'm thinking about my editors and my shooters. I'm, tr- I'm trying to think about a way to, maybe if I get three or four or five or six of these projects and maybe they're nothing. Maybe they're well, nothing. You've been, you've been shifted anyway. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go. That's fine. 
maybe they're only, only a, a few hundred bucks. Or I was having a conversation with a client who's paid me 25 grand. We're talking about 1500 bucks or something. Yeah. It doesn't matter because then I can spread that money around to my editors, to one of my shooters, and I can serve others, right? Keep the flow going. But this all comes through innovation. It's taking the things that we know well, that we all do well, and just innovating and kind of turning it on its ear. Sorry to cut you off, Mike. No, no, I just, yeah, no, it's, it's perfect. And no, and, and, and somebody sent me how through restriction creates creativity, right? That's what's happened on what oh, we're doing yeah. today and tomorrow. Oh my God, yes. It's exactly yeah. that, right? That's, it's, it's like we're so restricted. So now I'm sitting along doing things, yeah. So I want to bring up, because you used that word as well, um, that I think is even better than this whole free project or free to fee or free work is, is using the language of case study. We yeah. started selling quote unquote case studies to people, but, uh, the idea that really a free project or a passion project is your case study to show what's possible. So you've started to use that language when you've gone yeah. in to do a free project, because a lot of people go, well, if I do free projects, nobody's going to pay me more than 500 bucks or a thousand dollars after that. No, let me riff on that for a second. So uh, there's two examples. One's a racing example, but another example is another big school that I've worked with. This is a postgraduate program. So not a lot of money and not a big university, but a program, right? And they faced many, many problems. And most of the problems was um, where they were located. They're an amazing, you know, uh, PhD program, but they're in St. Louis, right? They're not in San Francisco or, or Boise, Idaho, or Boston, or in the Carolinas. Or Florida. They're in St. Louis, right? And they're trying to attract all of this talent. Well, I learned all this through my pre-production process. We went and made a really cool promo. And then the promo was all they paid for. But it was a strong budget, so I could, I could innovate, right? I could play. I could create case studies. And I had this one interview with this young lady who tells this great story about wanting to come to St. Louis for Alzheimer's research. She knew that it was the top program in the country, but her boyfriend, fiance, had this amazing video game job in Seattle where they were living. And she was like, how am I going to get him to move to St. Louis? Well, the school, the program found out about this, and there's so many startups in St. Louis. They actually found him a job in our Cortex district, our startup district, that I guess was a better job or more fun or whatever than what he was doing. So they moved the couple here so that she could enroll as a graduate student in this Alzheimer's research program. She's just telling me this in passing in the interview. And I'm like, damn, that's good stuff. And that addresses exactly their problem. So I package it all together. I didn't go and ask permission and I didn't go and upsell it. I made the film, had it complete. And when I went to submit the promo, like in person in the boardroom, we're showing the board, the, the promo film, everyone's fired up and high five. And I said, well, guess what? I have a gift for you guys. Let me show you this. And I showed them this in-depth piece about the Alzheimer's girl. And they were like, and there was no charge. But then I had my case study. I, I collected data, if you will, on what worked with a great group of clients. And then I used that film for the next client. So that client just bought a promo, but they got an extended interview. Now the next client bought a promo and, and three extended interviews. And then the next client bought a promo and five extended interviews and a glide cam tour of the campus. So you're collecting data and you're building, building on upon it. Yep. And, yep. and the racing example that I like to use because I, uh, I love the relationship I get to have with my father and the fact that we race cars together. And, you know, a lot of times when you race cars, you're, you're kind of doing it for glory that there's no paycheck. I want a little bit of money, but not enough to pay for anything. But you're out there just like 
you know, pushing the rock up the hill, trying to get the car to run more consistent or trying to get the burnouts right. You're just collecting data to be better, to be a better driver, to make the car more consistent, to make your crazy father happy. And you're just collecting data. I mean, that's what this all is. And, and it, it, you can cross over into any industry and have- But that's how you take, you delete failure and good and bad and just data. It's just data. And so I'm just learning. This wasn't a failure. Doing this free project that didn't immediately turn to a paid hey, project is data. How many people are failing greatly right now trying to find a cure to COVID-19? And we're encouraging that. Please, scientists, go and fail greatly. You know, dare greatly and fail greatly because as you fail, you're going to get data about how the virus reacted to X drug, Y drug, Z solution. We, we need this, right? We need this at that scale. And you need it if you're a plumber, if you're a construction worker, if you run a hot rod shop, it doesn't matter. What we're talking about here can be applied to any of those industries, any of those businesses. Love it, love it, love it. Shake it up, everybody who's been sitting here. You just got here an hour ago. Everybody else has like had a little hour break for hey, lunch. We're just getting warmed up. Yeah. <laughs> been on here since 9 a.m. Uh, it's fantastic. No, so I'm going to dig in here. Um, yeah, some questions? Yeah, I'm just looking here for a second. Miss Ellen, she says, my husband and I are super healthy. Live on the, they live on the side of a mountain. She got satellite internet. Yeah, she Woo. lives in Oregon. She's a rock star. Uh, let's see. Took a life insurance test with the, the, the Oldman River. Does Ryan? Uh, Ryan, we, can t- we won't go into that. But maybe with the people who coach with me, we can get a little of your n- initial emails or something that you had sure. sent out back in the day. Uh, Melinda says, uh, I love your website, Ryan. I have a calling to work with nonprofits. I have started messaging those that I want to work with and offering a free short. How much research did you do before reaching out? And can you discuss your everyday hero section on your website and the idea behind that, please? Yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, okay, so the first part there is about nonprofits. Um, well, as you might have heard there in the beginning of the talk, it was relationship first and selling second, right? So um, I was blessed in that I had some relationships with people, places, and entities that I wanted to work with. And I also leveraged my, my name, right? Uh, Alton's a small town. My dad was one of 12 kids. There's a lot of Hanlons around, you know? Um, and I it was easy for me to get doors open or emails open because I kind of cranked it all the way down to Alton, Illinois, not to St. Louis. I mean, St. Louis is where I live and where I do a lot of my business, but Alton was my proving grounds. We talked about data and case studies. Well, in the automotive world, they talk about the proving grounds, you know, where you go out, you test the truck or you test the car to see what it'll hold up against. That's what Alton has always been to me. And my good friend, uh, my mentee, uh, Alan Shago, who, who works with me. He's by my side. He came to me as an intern. And uh, that summer, I think he thought he was just going to intern a little bit. I made him start a company. And um, I think he's really just kind of a great example of the solution to this. I told Alan, look, buddy, you're from Festus, Missouri. It's a tiny little town. There's tons of opportunity for you to become the filmmaker for Festus, just like Michael was the filmmaker for Alton. And I became the kind of helped fill that role with schools and stuff in Alton. And so what Alan did, because he was serving first, he went to this place called Main and Mill, which is a really cool little- uh, I shared, just for some people know, people who are in my Voxer Jumpstart story, I actually shared a couple of Alan's uh, little local videos is what you're thinking bringing up here, just recently. So so Michael, or I'm sorry, Alan was doing these little videos for free because he, he had that same urge to create, to serve, to do something for others, right? Do something for himself do something for his craft. And what happened? 
all these people from Festus were like, hey, I like your website. I like your work. I didn't know you were even a Festus guy. Like, I really want to talk to you more about this once this crazy virus thing gets under control. That is no different than what I did in Alton. So to answer that question, the cold email is not always going to work. Even if you have a gorgeous, you know, uh, uh, reel and things like that, you've got to be a little bit more special forces about it. You and it's be strategic because more. everybody knows somebody. And if you're really passionate about an area, like when I'm even, pa- I don't want work in this, but like, you know, if I frequent a restaurant, it's a, I've literally sat in restaurants where people like the Caros, I've seen people walk in who you can tell is just a door to door salesman and they won't give a meeting. And then I'm like all there all the time. And I'm like, Hey, you think I could talk to such and such? Yeah. And then I could pitch something just oh, yeah. because There's of the relationship there. Because you like the Carl's. So for her question about the nonprofit, what I would say is you like working with nonprofits, which nonprofits, what nonprofits, what exactly does that mean? Let's ratchet that down. My dad, dad and I use a lot of tools on the race car, you know, and we have to tie it down when we, when we haul it and you just ratchet that car down nice and tight and snug to that trailer. So they're almost one. You have to do the same thing with this nonprofit need. What nonprofit do you love? How did, did, How can you infiltrate is a good word, right? How do you infiltrate, infiltrate that, so, that nonprofit? So Gebs and I worked with the Ozark Trail Association, which I've been a volunteer for since 2008. Okay. I had a relationship with them. I kept brought a concept to them before I had a company, before I had a video reel. I was just a tireless volunteer who made people laugh and smile and have a beer with them and build some trail. I brought a $4,000 concept to them to build a promotional video. And we worked through that but I had that relationship. They knew who I was. They trusted me. So ratchet that down. She says bit. human connect, uh, condition needs, human trafficking, cancer, homelessness. So let's see, how much research did you do? Okay. So everyday heroes, this is a great question that Melinda, thank you for asking this one. So what everyday heroes is guys is it's a free pass. It is a hall pass for me. So schools and nonprofits have been the dominant, you know, force for my income for a long time. But what is Everyday Heroes? Well, that's a free pass for me to work with a corporate client, to be completely honest. That's what that is. If I want to go tell a story about a park ranger, if I want to do one of my little Ozark stories, if I want to work with a guy who's building classic Broncos, uh, I've got a corporate client who's going to give us a little bit of work next month. Um, They fall into that category. It's not a core piece of business. It's not always a portfolio piece, but it gives me a free pass. And what it also does is when clients come to me and they're like, hey man, I really like your work, but I'm not a school or not a nonprofit. I'm like, yeah, I bet you're an everyday hero. Tell me about yourself. Tell me about your life and your work. And it's a free pass is what that is. Got it. Got it. Perfect. Keep chiming in here. Uh, Danny Schneibel says, I want to see that audition reel from Ireland. (laughs) Can you talk about how many, Justin says, can you talk about how you meet people and make friends? I'm pretty fun when I'm with people, but I don't go out of my way to meet people. Also, when do you meet those people? Do you have a purpose for your conversation or do you respond to whatever they are saying? Great question. Great question. So we live in this little neighborhood here in South City in St. Louis, and we've been here for quite a while. We've been here for almost 15 years, but our kids have only been in the neighborhood school for Oh, maybe four or five years now. And uh, tight-knit community, uh, small neighborhood, don't know anyone. So my kids start going to school there. I see that there's a lot of parents that know each other. I'm kind of the guy picking up kids after school that doesn't know anybody. Um, Few hellos, few waves, stuff like that. First thing I did was like, I want to volunteer for the school. Let me help you guys with video content. Let me help you with some Facebook posts. Um, 
hey, the school picnic's coming up. Let me shoot a video about the school picnic. Let me help my school that I'm now part of win. And the next thing you know, people are like, hey, did you shoot that video? I'm like, yeah, I did. Check in, get to know each other, get invited over for a barbecue, get to know some people, start to find people in this new school that I can relate to, that get a kick out of the race car, like my job, I like their job, maybe some work gets passed back and forth. For me, it's always just been like, Sir, this is also where I want to tie in the personality part because I, I, I just am still getting to know you, obviously, but there's also that element where there are the opposite of me and you, Ryan, and I'm finding a theme that I may or may not have intentionally done, but two thirds of the people I'm having on here are, uh, you know, not the super introverted style. And so the, the pro and the con to that is they're seeing a one dimensional side of people who easily connect, easily build relationships. Like my brother, you know, he could be in any room, anywhere, at any time, and not even have somebody speak in English, and he would make them laugh, they would become friends, and they would be buddies. Some people don't have that as easily. I think the theme I'm pulling out, though, that anyone can do on certain levels, and this is just where it depends, but it's like, you're still talking about things that you already, you, you just integrated where your life, on, intentionally or unintentionally, already was right? So things with your dad, it just so happens to be the race cars. You didn't make the race cars up. It's like you already did race cars. The school, it's just that was where your kids happened to be. Your wife happened to be, your mom happened, like all these things. And so all that just integrated and you went with what was most relevant for you. That's why you're in schools. Somebody else, schools might, it's not, and that's what I'm trying to make sure real quick that nobody sees on the different types of people I'm getting on. This isn't a, let me race them to stock footage. Let me race them to real estate let me race them to schools and nonprofits it's it's showing how someone's made had success in an area but like just because somebody's having success there doesn't mean that automatically that's a shiny place to run to that you'll have success we're we're all having success by almost kind of going what's in our palm. I mean, it took me forever to just focus on filmmakers with, with freaking coaching, but those are the people most relevant, right? That's the crazy thing. <laughs> now you've told me, I mean, I'm a dense human at times, but like that made the logical sense, right? I'm not, well, I would and grow up as a corporate, like you would have been more likely to have success coaching in the corporate world from you know, the four seasons because you were in the world, right? For me to find like, where are six figure CEOs that I can run around with and sell them coaching so they'll pay me 250? I'm not in that world. And people I know who are, their father owns a you know, nine figure construction company. And so he just happened to be integrated into a world of people who will pay the premium. Just like with you, you're not dealing with schools and nonprofits. When we did this local school with um, Alton, they couldn't afford $45,000 for a school film, right? But then you've started to integrate and the world you run around in is a more influential, or I should use the word affluent world relative to where you ran around with an Alton. Alton capped out at five to 8,000 bucks. Then you upped to a new sector of affluence, basically. And those people, like you said, they were spending 120 grand for one video. So 25 to 35 grand for six sounds like a really killer deal. <laughs> you know, whereas some people, when they're usually spending a thousand and a Joe might come along to charge eight, that sounds like a bad deal, right? Mm-hmm. And so- Anyways, I just wanted sure. to say that, but if you have a chime, but yeah. The next one here. So how do you find uh, nonprofits with budgets? Good question. Do you find it hard to get approval for films when dealing with <clears throat> This is a really good question. Um, if a nonprofit doesn't have the budget, wants to work with you, 
Okay, good. Okay. This is great, guys. Um, so people will say, how do you work with nonprofits? How does this work? How do you make any money? Um, to, to this person, this is Ryan Stark asking about this. Um, a lot of times I don't, I don't wait for it. I request a meeting or a presentation with the board. Um, a lot of times, all of us, everyone on this call, you're going to be meeting with someone that's very like-minded as you are, but they're not a decision maker. And oftentimes they don't have a lot of pull with the decision makers because it's a board of directors or it's a, a different, you know, it's just a different group of people that doesn't show up at the office every day. Right. So what I'll often say is like, look, don't try and regurgitate what I just told you to the board of directors and show them a few links. It's not going to work. I've been doing this long enough to know that it doesn't work. Let me come in and speak to the board of directors. Let me come in and show them some examples and case studies. And a recent example was a Head Start program. Head Start is basically like uh, early childhood education uh, for kiddos that are in some tough situations financially. Uh, Awesome program to begin with, you know. And I went in and got to speak to the board of directors a couple years after I made their first round of content. And they were, they had new, some new leadership and they had a new kind of on-site person. So she brought me in and I gave a nice presentation. I had some films, I had some data and some information. Um, and then what I said was, before I leave, I want to give you guys one idea. And the idea is not paying for video ever again. So nonprofits, and I witnessed this for a decade in the hotels, a big nonprofit has events all the time. I make films for all those events now these big gala fundraisers. Well, when you go to those fundraisers, what do you do? You put down $500 for $100 worth of tickets at the silent auction. You've just given to the organization. You raise your paddle during the gala auction and you give them $5,000 for a $1,000 weekend in the Ozarks, right? You're giving money uh, to the organization at the event and you're receiving something, okay? But the big money, the 60 grand, the 150, the huge gifts from big hospitals. You know what they're getting in return? They're getting their name on a three by five poster board that says the happy hour has been sponsored by the Smith Health Corp Corporation. If that's not a load of bullshit, I don't know what is. So what I started telling my nonprofits and I told little old Riverbend had start that, I said, get someone else to pay for your video production so we can really make some great work that will serve you that will serve your organization and you don't have to dip into your marketing budget to pay for it. Go find a sponsor. These sponsors are sponsoring your stuff already. Anyhow, you just have to have a better pitch to them because here's the thing. If I'm the Smith hospital corporation and you're telling me that I'm going to get an agency level piece of video content with my name on it, that I can then share with my employees, my shareholders at the Christmas party on Facebook, whatever, that's a hell of a great investment. Because I've just bought agency level video content and it's basically a tax write-off because I did it as a donation to the damn organization. And when I put that concept in front of Head Start, this guy raised his hand, an attorney in the group. He said, my firm's going to pay for the whole project. And he gave us $6,500 to make two videos. And I was like, holy crap, the case study worked. And now I can tell that story, show the films that that gentleman and his law firm paid for, and the proof is in the pudding. So you got to rethink. But, well, and here's the thing, Ryan, too, that you weren't on here, but this Casey guy who was on uh, this morning with real estate. One of the things he ended up doing is going, one second, let me, let me grab this real quick. <laughs> I need some honey water, hot honey water for my throat. I know. Uh, but Casey 
is in real estate right now, but he's like, I went to real estate seminars. I read real estate books. I understood the real estate industry. And I think you can't even come up with these creative ideas if you're not immersing yourself in something because you won't understand how any of it works logistically. If all you understand, I say this all the time, if all you understand is how to make a video and just tell a story, you're going to have a difficult time. And I want to time in for Melinda or others who of course listen to this. There's, you can learn these things. You can find a lot of resonance with it and alignment and be able to implement elements of it and get results. Or you need to find a Ryan Hanlon because I don't care how you get to tell the story, how you get to be involved with the nonprofit. Somebody is involved with the nonprofit from a media, website, marketing standpoint. You can align with that as a strategic partner and now you get to do the thing you like, which is tell the story, make the video. But if all this wheeling and dealing and as my dad jokes, you know, the slick willy of Ryan, you know, <laughs> if that doesn't resonate or is not you today, which has been a theme, this could become a Melinda or somebody else in the future. But right now they might face so much resistance for the next five years that they don't get to make any films. They're not doing anything because they're caught up in how do I wheel and deal a project to get paid to do it when in fact you either can do them for free or number two, align with people that you can still get to do the thing that you want to do. I mean, that's this, I haven't talked much, this guy on tomorrow, this Paul, my alignment with him was because there was a lot of activities I know I'm good at, but I don't want to mess with right now. And so it made more sense to have the strategic partner. Go ahead. Somebody speaking. Oh, I thought somebody else said something. Um, let's keep branching here about 15 more minutes. I'll probably just take 30 minutes. Just depends on, we could still go right up until Ronnie or we'll, we'll, we'll just play with it. But uh, I think- There's another one from Ellen here. Michael, do you want to look at that one? Yep, go ahead. So a colleague of mine and I made a short cinematic documentary this winter. Now, now that it's public, we're getting great feedback on it, but we want to make it a, a feature length documentary. So we have our pitch. Now we have what we want to execute on it. Uh, what's the best way in your mind to start finding funding to pursue this short backstory? It's a documentary on the overlanding overlanding. You probably know what that is. And it's a popular vlogger on YouTube. Nice. Um, Well, to Michael's point, you've got to find the audience that loves that content that is aligned with that content. You've got to find someone that says, Oh, I've got a, you know, a big 74 Bronco that I love to overland with my kids in. I, I love this content to begin with. Right. So, Think about someone like me that has kind of an automotive uh, bent to what I do. If someone approached me and said, hey, Ryan, we're going to make this great documentary about racing in the St. Louis area. Can you help us shoot it? Can you help sponsor it? Can you help us find people to pay for it? I'd say, heck yeah, that's a killer story that probably needs to be told. So again, it's, it's this idea of alignment and finding people that are part of the tribe, or part of the audience, and want to see this documentary made. You can't I mean, there are Kickstarters and, and GoFundMes, and those are, those are great things. I helped the gentleman do that with a book successfully with video content. But it's a difficult time to do those types of things, obviously. You need to find people that are aligned with what you want to do with this overlanding documentary and get it to the next level. Or you just figure out a way to get the thing made on your own, re-engineer your mindset a little, about, about, a little bit about it, figure out a way to pay for it on your own, and then shift gears completely to delivering the content. Yeah, there was a guy that there was a guy actually that I I coached that sent me a message about uh, one of his friends who (laughs) went in the hole quite significantly on a documentary that for three and a half years nothing happened with, and then somebody randomly came across it and saw it, made an introduction, connected him, and the guy got a high paying job from that thing. And so, you know, put that on Facebook and boost it uh, to the right audience 
at the right times throughout the year strategically with asks and learn more. You just got to re-engineer stuff sometimes. And, and I still, I mean, obviously it's because this is how we're geared. I'm still so for the domino effect of a person of a person. I mean, like, you know, this whole thing that ended up happening over today and tomorrow, like you didn't hear, it, but it's like, certain things that happened and then boom through this conversation with the guy that got him the first person I had on a day it was like a stroke of lightning I was had no intention of all this other stuff I did and then he said one thing that sparked all this stuff and that's why I'm just big in you know find the people closest to you your mom your dad your brother your sister your friend your friend's husband wife da 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 and just get conversations going so people know what you're up to know what you're doing because a lot of times you got a lot of clarity about what you do, how you do it, who you do it with, all that. People who don't, the reason you have a part-time marketing is when you lack clarity about the ask. I mean, for me with coaching, right? All these years, like, how am I really helping them? I don't, you know, and it's like this, people are getting help, but, and so it's just such a mess of being able to be referred because they're like, well, I don't know. I mean, you've always, I, mean, I don't know, Gab's kind of, I mean, yeah, he's really, he's helped me, like, but it's so unclear and it's not powerful. Well, it's hard to sell. Uh, it's hard to sell something as it's as clear as mud. You know what I mean, <laughs> right? And so, but that's the thing. The more clear you have, so in conversations when you're doing something, and now maybe two years ago you had no clarity about it, but now you do. Well, there were people who weren't clear about what you did, still might not be, but now you have conversations. You go, you know what? Here's what I've been working on. Here's what I've been doing. Do you know anybody? And that's that kind of passive. I'm not selling to you. I'm kind of telling you what I'm doing. But hey, do you know any? Because people want to help. And they might or, go, or they like I'm it. the person. What? Or they like it so much. They're like, can I share this? Where do we, can, can I send this to my friend? Do I have yeah. permission to do that? You know? So, yeah. So, so, did, you wanna, did you want to take any uh, questions outside of chat, Gabs? Uh, I think that's it. So, uh, Nate, real quick, and then anybody who wants to pop on with camera, uh, you can definitely do that. So, Nate says, curious how you've worked with your nonprofits to build the solid case studies. Well, we just talked about the Ruben yep. Head Start example. Yeah. Second school I worked with, oh, Joe Monzo said, second school I worked with had the business pay for it all. I would love okay. to connect after the Ryan to talk us more. Yeah. Ellen and I have some experience with filming Overland. Uh, oh, Ellen, I have some experience with filming <laughs> Overlanding. Cool, oh, you guys you can connect. So anybody want to chime on for a second? Unmute yourself and, and have any, of course, real quick, man. It's like, this is like Family Feud or something or whatever that show is. Like Ryan Stark's like, boom, unmute, I'm ready. <laughs> I've been, I like I take notes of stuff I want to ask questions about like while I, he's talking so like I kind of have stuff ready. Yeah, go and, ahead, buddy. Um, yeah, man, fire away. So you talked about like emailing like the schools and stuff like that, and so I kind of I, I drafted an email and scooped your thought on real quick, sure. and I may not do anything with it, but so I, I did some stuff with the school earlier. It's a local community college, and so I didn't send this yet, but I said Tracy. I have a few marketing people talking about universities and other big businesses creating videos, communicating what has changed and what people can expect going forward when things are back to normal. What happened during the shutdown? What did the school or business learn from this experience? How have they worked on their business and plan to rebuild? How are they better prepared to serve the community going forward? If you have any ideas you think might you'd like to bounce off me, I'd love to come alongside you guys to think how this could effectively be done. What do you think? Here's the problem. I had a mentor back in the old days, uh, David Conley, black belt, amazing guy, amazing mentor. And um, what he would say in this scenario is, is don't come across unconfident. Like I've heard some people talking about this. I think you're like, this is what's happening. 
This is this is where video is going. This is what this is what I see for the next three months. My colleagues, uh, the professionals I mix with. This is what I'm seeing, and I want you to be aware of what I'm aware of, and I want to figure out a way to help you and to serve you. You can't say I think or maybe or maybe we can it's connect. The certainty I talk about all it's the time. The, you get paid twenty five grand and somebody else gets twenty five hundred for the same yeah. activity, the same hours spent, the same final product. But because yeah. you come in with this level of certainty, it's like, and it's they like come you in gotta walk into the ring like a wrestler. Like let me tell you what's up. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just tweaking those. You know, Gebs used to say uh, millimeter and centimeter adjustments, and I've stole that many times. Um, that's all you need to do is just, just adjust that email a little bit and reread it, read it out loud, have a friend, a cousin, a sister, a brother, boyfriend, girlfriend, read that as well. So you can hear someone else reading your writing. That is so mm. important to hear someone reading your writing, but you got to be certain. You can't Hell, say, just I, when I write my own stuff and I read it out loud, I'm, I'm finding 9,000 errors because I'm like, oh, I, God, I, I miss half the word. Don't get, don't get set up on that. Right. That's why I just speak. I'll go crazy on his grammar. I'm like, this is crap. What are you doing? Let me type this. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Good, uh, question. Good luck. Awesome, Ryan. Hope that was helpful. Anybody, we can have Ryan pop back, Ryan on Ryan, but uh, anybody else want to, uh, oh, oh, we got Melinda and Joe. <laughs> Melinda, you go ahead first real quick and then Joe. I, I've been toying with the idea of reaching out to nonprofits and doing Zoom interviews with their leaders so that they can have that personal touch of how they're adjusting to what's going on. Like the human trafficking people I'm dealing, I've been talking to, a lot of their essential things have been shut down because they can't do anything right now with them. Um, so I don't know how I should, if I could maybe put those together later into some sort of reel, if that would be helpful. Well, don't, don't think about down the road. Think about right now. So yeah. that's a great idea, but what you're doing for them, you have to communicate what you're going to be doing for them. You're giving them a platform. You're giving them the, the delivery mechanism for them to share what's going on. Right. So what you have to do is talk more about distribution and delivery. You know, I would like to interview you on a zoom call. What I'll then do is, you know, package that and I will distribute it to my Facebook page of 3000 followers or and to help them my email campaign. You want to talk to them in terms of delivering the message. That person or that, that executive director from the nonprofit is probably more than happy to speak with you, speak with anybody during these difficult times. But if you can help them understand delivery and Michael, we should talk about that before we go what you're going to do with the content almost matters more, much more than the capturing of it. Well, that's, that's real that life case study this real quick too, Melinda. So the reality is you've already done some stuff and you have some relationships. I'm a hundred percent clear on that. So now it's the case study method is you get in that conversation to just bring that up and you do that first one where you just do it, right? That's the whole point. It's, it's not, you don't need a portfolio. You don't need the portfolio for the portfolio because you don't have it, right? So it's, it's being able to do that first one. Then that's what you could leverage to go to ones you're not as warm with. Or if you ask that person who you can connect with, but when you're layers apart, you want to have the first person who's warmest, most easiest to say a yes, do that. That's what you then can take to the people you're not as close to or that they may be one person removed. Right, Ryan? And it'll be a better conversation with that person that you have a bit of a relationship with. And I think if you have a good, thoughtful, honest, organic conversation with them about what they're going through or what their nonprofit is trying to do during all of this, that in and of itself will be great, great content. So maybe focus on it step by step. Step one, 
make, make the connection with someone that you know already that will be into this, have a beautiful, thoughtful conversation with them then say, okay, now I have the content. Hmm, what should I do? Who do I deliver to? How do I purpose it? Do I shorten it? Do I release it as like three or four pieces that I give back to them and leverage their audience and their LinkedIn portfolio, their X number of fans on Facebook. Maybe we just give that conversation right back to them with a little bit of packaging, a logo, what have you, and give that back to them and let them deliver that. See, again, you're trying to figure out how you can serve these people. So yes, you can serve them in the technical aspect of doing the interview, having the Zoom call, but you've got to figure out how to deliver that content to their audience. That's the most important. Right. And that, that's where I'm a little confused just to, because they have so many hoops they have to jump through too, right? With their boards and what they can and can't do. So that was- so You've my- dealt with that, right? I mean, I guess it depends on your and even touchier subjects than Ryan may be dealing with. Uh, but I mean, you've had to, I'm sure- Oh yeah, well, like our- hoops and- Well, there's a, there's a couple of organizations that really struggle with this. Uh, Concordance Academy of Leadership is a fantastic organization that I pray someday will be, you know, uh, coast to coast. What they do is they help folks that are coming out of prison and they go with them three months before release and then they stay with them for three months after. And there's a whole graduation ceremony. It's a fantastic model to help people coming out of prison. There is all types of hoops we have to jump through with that group, but we have to innovate and we have to get creative. And a lot of times the board members will freak out because they'll be like, oh, well, Joe was a great video story, but he recidivated, you know, he he had in a moment of weakness committed another crime and is back in. And I'm like, you know what? Like he's human. The video content is human. It speaks for itself. Keep using the video content. And then another example that our friend Alan can relate to is prison performing arts. Amazing organization here in St. Louis. What they're doing is they're going into prisons, uh, male and female, and they're letting them act out a play like a professional stage performance with sets and all of these you talk about vulnerability. I mean, folks in prison that are going to rehearse and work their butts off to put on a play. Well, we can't get people to go see the play, you know, even though it's beautiful and it's wonderful. No one wants to go to a prison two or three hours away and watch a play. And then there's all these guidelines, whether or not we can bring camera equipment in there and and how much camera equipment can we bring in? There's all these hoops that you're going to have to jump through no matter what. You just got to figure out a way around that. You know, maybe you live stream the play from a couple of phones or something like that. Maybe we, well, what we have done is we started with photography. We took a really beautiful photography from the latest play. So again, you've kind of got to re-engineer stuff as much as you can. And that's where, I I mean, in in business, I mean, in general, that's where either strategically aligning or starting to build that, that problem solving, you know, muscle, because it's Mm -hmm. so important. I mean, in these times to, to do that. Um, and, and that's where, if that's not a strength, then align, attempting to align with somebody who it is. Well, um, here's, a, here's an everyday story. So, you know, we're all stuck in the house and we can't go out and, you know, I like to tinker and build projects and we were going to build a headboard for my son who just moved in the basement, big 13 year old, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, normally I would just run to Lowe's and buy something. And I started just looking around my property and my shop and I was like, I've got all the material here to make this. And I can use this as like a learning experience for my son that all these materials are here. Let's just measure, measure twice, cut once. And we were able to do this project without leaving the house, without spending any money. We just kind of re-engineered and looked around at our resources we had here on the property. Perfect. We'll dig deeper, Melinda. 
Oh, for sure. I'd like to get to know what she's doing. Yeah, for sure. All right, my Monzo, my man, you've been waiting for this. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, well, thanks for, for chatting, Ryan. It's great to, to hear you live. Um, you know, I see all your posts on Facebook and LinkedIn. Um, so I, I mostly have just been focusing more on K through 12, not so much the colleges, but, um, but one of the things that, uh, that I've been doing just to kind of establish, you know, uh, uh, the trustworthiness and, and stuff like that is, is trying to go to like these, these small school conferences and, and yep. stuff like that. Do you, have you experienced any of those on the college realm or, or any of that through like, you know, the local areas and, you know, what's your thoughts on that? I've got a, it's Gabs always makes fun of me because I have a story for everything years ago when we, he and I were uh tag team in this whole idea of schools. We, uh, we went to the Illinois principals association conference and we had a booth and we were such rookies. We had this like Gabs, we had this banner that said Gabs. It didn't say like Gabs video or let us help you with your, <laughs> your video solutions. It just said Gabs. <laughs> and we had these TVs running with all of our cool work and people would stop and be like, who are you idiots? You know, but enough people would stop and talk to us and learn about it. We were a little ahead of the curve. Um, here's my thought on conferences and stuff like that. I tell a lot of my clients to present themselves as an authority with their new video content. Mm. I've developed this like two page um, content delivery, best practices, mm. uh, do's and don'ts. Mm. And I tell people, look, you know, take these ideas if you want and I'll coach you through them for free. If you don't want the ideas, hey, you know, no problem. You know, cherry pick what you need. And at the very bottom of that, uh, those two pages, there's two. There's a local, regional opportunity, and then there's national. And what I'll tell people is I'll say, what's a conference that you attend every year? They're like, oh, like I work with uh, Alton Steel. Great story. Getting ready to release their content. They go to this huge Steel conference. And I'm like, well, what you should do is ask to see if your film can be played before the keynote or ask if you can get a breakout session. You know what a breakout session is, John? Yeah. 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 So you kind of have to throw yourself in the arena with the lions, right? And say, I want to be vulnerable and put myself out there. So rather than just attending a conference or having a booth and shaking hands, leverage your beautiful, amazing work and the niche that you're in and begin to supply that as content for the conference. And that's where I was going with it because um, last summer, uh, myself and my client at Delaware Valley Friends School, we spoke at a breakout session for um, missions and marketing things. So I, I was just curious what your thoughts were on that. Exactly, man. It sounds like you're already there. And I love what you're doing on LinkedIn. You're getting so many likes and comments. I would say keep up with that, man. I'm jealous of, uh, of your good work over on LinkedIn, man. Keep it up. <laughs> I cheat. We have a LinkedIn engagement pod. <laughs> I, I figured you were doing something. Yeah. Like, Damn, that dude's blowing up over there. <laughs> You'll have to teach me some tricks. But, yeah. uh, but I do think that the conference thing is good because, again, it just, you just present yourself as an authority, but you mm -hmm. can't, it can't be a one and done. And I know Michael right. will echo this. You've mm -hmm. got to say, okay, I'm going to do this for all of these conferences for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. Like I'm going to have to put myself out in that kind of in-person environment because a one and done is just more of data collection at this point. Right. Well, right. And, and real quick too, I think this is the thing, Joe, again, too. I mean, you, we connected in like what, 2014 with Mark and handcrafted. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. how far you've come since then, how far are you come in the last year and how much farther you're going to go in the next few years. But it's, it's like when we see some of the people, especially 
when we're having people on like we're having on right now, you're seeing people who've gone through that mud already. There's still mud to go through, but you're catching them on that back end. And so it's mm-hmm. like, there's that part where like, and that's where I think, I mean, the one podcast that I just did was I, I dug deeper with the lady who did the one-on-one day with me who cried at the end of the day in 2014 and said, I don't want to do video. I hadn't spoken to her literally on the phone or in any interaction beyond a couple text messages on Messenger since that one-on-one day. And we had this phenomenal talk that's now six years later. And it was just like, I heard all that you said. And she's like, I really didn't want to do all that. Like, I just didn't. You know, and I think that some of this today can inspire people while simultaneously goes, it's a flicking pain in the ass. It's just, yeah. this shit's not, oh. I don't have a big enough why to do all this stuff that potentially needs to be done. That's why if you're in alignment with an industry, people, organizations, things that have that big why, the mud that you might have to go through sometimes is not as bad as when you're going towards something that the why is just like, oh, this could be a great moneymaker or this could be that. Um, go ahead, Ryan. Yeah, I got to tell you this, man. Like what you just said really kind of ring true because I don't have an easy job. Like my job is very difficult. Like it is very, very difficult. The films that we make, and, and some of you know this, Joe probably knows this, these are difficult films to make. I work with a hospital group here in the uh, middle part of Illinois, and they like our work. They've seen a little bit of our work. Uh, we did a little glide cam tour for a building in our hometown. And Michael helped out with that. And they're like, we want to get on the phone with this guy. And we get to talking, and they're showing me some of the videos that they do. And they're nicely produced, and they're good looking, but they're heavily scripted. They're heavily planned. It's, it's, it's cumbersome and it, it, it doesn't hit the target. There's no emotion. Those are easy films to make. And the guys said that. They're like, look, these are easy. Like what you do is difficult. And we can't, we can't discount that. You know, doing this kind of documentary style filmmaking is difficult. It's difficult editing. You're going to interview people. I'm doing something right now for Autism Speaks. I do every year. We got a guy this year who is struggling with his story, you know, and we're like, oh my God, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta re-engineer this. I'm supposed to make this beautiful, heart-wrenching story with a guy that's not really delivering it. What the heck am I gonna do? Well, you know, I'm bringing in another person here and another person here, and I'm gonna have three people talking. He's gonna be bookended by those other two people. I mean, it's a difficult thing that we do. But again, as Michael said, if you love it, if it charges you up, you got to do it. But if you're like, I don't want to do what Ryan does. That sounds like a big pain in the butt. I just want to edit. I just, maybe I'm, maybe I'm more of a photographer. Like my son, my 13 year old is like, dad, I think I just want to be a photographer. (laughs) I was like, good. This video stuff is hard. So don't, don't discredit how difficult some of these things are and figure out what is it that you really love and really want to do in this kind of world of, of creative video and photo production. Any other things, Joe? I know you've had 10,000 questions. Like, okay, cool. And I think too, for anybody who's on here, who's involved with my coaching uh, on a regular basis, and we're doing the monthly jump circles now, um, I definitely, some of the people are probably one shots, of course, that on here and may or may not want certain people back. We'll just leave it at that. But uh, in regards to Ryan and some others, you know, these can be some of the things if I, if I ratchet up to potentially two, we might have our normal little jump circle sessions we've been having. And then maybe once a month I'm bringing a Ryan on where we go in again and we just see what your, all your needs are and figure out who might best serve that where you guys can interact with some of them. Cause I don't claim to have in these specific niches. That's where it's better that you Ryan being as you would call it in the trenches 
is to give that data on that side of things. Um, because for me, I'm more, even on this right now, we're more going psychological. Like, let's dig in. What's Ryan doing to reverse engineer how he's working based on how he's wired and Casey and Parker and Ronnie and these things and what happened and some of that process so that people can, one, just, if you can take the weight off your shoulders and stop beating the crap out of yourself because you're, you know, not somewhere you think you should be, but you don't know where you're supposed to be (laughs) type of thing. Well, it's, it's as simple as this, Michael. If you are trying, you're doing more than the next person, right? Um, my, my dad and I have been around this, this drag racing car game forever. And I remember one time, I wrote about this actually on LinkedIn, again, a lesson in vulnerability, some of my writing. I remember leaning on the edge of a fence and there was this, this group of two or three guys struggling all night with this car. Couldn't make a run, couldn't get it to go down the track straight. You know, I'd grown up about, around my dad whose cars were always straight as an arrow and never, we never had a lot of problems. And I remember saying some crappy thing like, boy, these guys just can't get it together tonight. And my dad looked me square in the eye and he said, let me tell you something. He's like, they're out there and they are trying and they're going for it. And that's more than you're doing. You know, of course, that's my dad. But there's so much truth in that. Like all of you that any level that you're at feel that you're struggling or you're not doing enough or you're not breaking through, you're, you're doing it though. You're trying. I want to chime in here real quick, Ryan. I love that. And I want to give a real world in the moment how my inspired actions hit is that I just glanced for just a second to open, make sure there's no messages, anybody needs any, any links right now. And I saw Brett Culp like my post about the video I posted about this. Some of people know who Brett Culp is right now. He's, you know Brett is, who's done the documentaries and some of the things. Uh, so literally in that moment, it hit me to go message Brett Culp. We'll have him on tomorrow morning. And I got a high probability tomorrow morning or tomorrow afternoon. I've done a bunch of connecting. He's like, you know, and, and this is where you talk about serving. He'll reach out and go, I'm going to be in New York. Do you know a videographer? I'm gonna, he goes, I should, you, this is almost becoming a part-time job for you. And he's <laughs> kind of like, well, if you need anything, I'm like, ah, it's, it's good. So the thing is, I haven't, not that I was waiting to cash in chips, but at the end of the day, I had been unconditionally serving because honestly, this is how I did Tim and Tony. They gave something to me. So the free video was actually not a tit for tat. Like I'm doing this. I hope I get something. It's like, I've already received from your book, from your this, from your that. So Brett, I've received so much from what he's done as being an inspiration. Then when he was asking me these things, I'm like, yeah, I'm happy to help. And so now I have that moment. And when I get off here, I'll send Brett a message and say, hey man. And that's what Melinda, anybody else, when those things pop, rather than, the hope of, yeah, exactly. Rather than the well, hope of something happening, you send the message and you just have that little minute in the moment. Go ahead. Case study, guys. Case study. I told you about my friend, Jenny. Um, I figured she'd be the best person to start with, right? Uh, hoping that she'd get some permission from leadership or she'd get some students interested. I was like, Jenny, whatever you want to do, let's give it a try. So I just got this email from her. She put together a box link of student videos that she wants to share with me. Uh, there's probably at least a handful of videos in here. And to Michael's point, I could have just not sent that email. I could have just kind of stared out the window, hoping this would all go away and the phone would start ringing or something, or I could figure out a way to help and to serve. And look at this. There's a bunch of videos here. Now this is going to basically get one of my editors and I to get working again and have a case study to figure. And again, it may fail. People may say, I'm freaked out. I'm not spending any money. Or I don't want to do anything. It doesn't matter. 
I did something for Jenny. Momentum, movement. I've created a case study. I can I can do an article about this later on LinkedIn or elsewhere and say, this is what I tried to do during COVID-19. What did you do? You know, so don't beat yourself up. And some of you may be familiar with this great quote from a speech that Teddy Roosevelt gave. And, and if not, I'll send you a link after one. this. But it's the idea of daring greatly. And it goes back to what I was saying about my dad, that idea of like, just get in the arena and try and land a punch. Get in the car and try and get it to go down the track. Try and send that email. The, the, young, the young gentleman I was talking to about, you know, putting that email together today. Do it, man. Just rework it, rework it, read it to people and send that thing out. <laughs> this is it. My evolution from imperfect right. action to inspired. I mean, that's what we're talking about here. It's just that when it hits just send. And sometimes the timing's perfect and you'll get a response even from somebody you don't know. And other times, even somebody who you're best friends with won't freaking respond, <laughs> right? Like Jenny could have not responded, sure. but she happened to synchronicity, you know, good timing here while well, we're on the call. Right. But I called her too. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the, the reality is, is that, you know, for me, like I said, yes, this yesterday, I was just sitting on the couch watching some videos. I mean, I was like, okay, I'll do some stuff today. I had my whole day kind of planned. And then I literally was like, oh, the Casey guy, I have to send him a message because something hit me. And I'm like, I got to send Casey, make sure he's good with the time. And then his reply was, Parker wants to do something with me. Bing, 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 bing. And I hit these inspired actions and started. And then my whole day got rearranged to rearrange today to make it something that's more powerful than originally it was like, guys, it was like two weeks, I think two, what, two, three weeks, Joe, and some of you were on here that I still was like, oh, well, we're going to, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll hold the event. And then a total lockdown. Okay. Well, I, I guess we'll cancel. I hope you guys didn't book too much. And then it was just like, but you know what? I'll still do a zoom session. Right? I'll sure. just get on Zoom for two days, just me. And I'll just be here for anybody wants to talk you know, long eight hours, that's no problem. I've, you know, whatever. And then, <laughs> and then just things started to hit, you know, but if you're also in total chaos all the time in your mind, those little inspired thoughts, they're always there. Who to send a message to, who to call, who to reach out to, what to create. But we're so, it's so noisy. We don't hear them or we don't listen and we don't act on them. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's just a big thing. But I've embodied, Ryan, a lot of people on here embody imperfect action. That's a very manic thing sometimes. Like, ah, I'm throwing stuff at the wall. I'm trying. I'm imperfect. This inspired element, this kind of maturity level, <clears throat> it's a new way to kind of, once you've done a lot of just action, because to me, Melinda, anybody else, it's like, well, if you've done one thing in a year and it didn't move the needle for you, how do we do five things this coming year? How do we do six or seven things, right? Okay. So yeah. we have more chances of, uh, of having the needle be moved for our, our, the relationships, the connections. Um, so anyways, but the inspired elements, just that when you get those little nudges, act on them rather than either ignoring them. I believe they're there for a reason. And, and, and well, a lot of people either don't hear them or they don't act on them. Well, you guys might be familiar with the old quote that uh, Mr. Rogers talks about when he was scared growing up during um, – you know, wartime and stuff like that. And I think his mother said something like, look for the people that are helping, you know, just, just try and find the people that are helping. And you're seeing a lot of that now on social media and you're seeing that quote uh, float around as well. And, you know, that's the one thing about being able to carry a camera around. Um, 
you know, you can be the person that can help. You can be the person that can document something. And maybe it's not for a paycheck, you know, maybe it's just for you or for, you know, uh, Melinda's friend that needs to hear their story, needs to have their story told. So I just love that quote as well. Look for the people that are helping, you know, look for the people that are serving. Yeah. All right, man. Well, any other questions, guys? Questions? Let's do a, uh, I'm going to put it on gallery view. I I should have done this uh, earlier, but we'll do a a little thing with with you here real quick. Anybody, if you're listening, I know there's a bunch with their cameras off. Oh, they're popping on. They're popping on. Uh, Pop it on there for a second. I'll give, I'll give about 10 seconds. I don't know who's around and who's listening. If you are passively pop your camera on for a second, we'll do a little, uh, a little thumbs up with Mr. Hanlon here. <laughs> Seth, Amanda, Chris. Oh, there's the Snyknocker. Ian Lang. There she is. <laughs> fantastic. fantastic. We just got two people left. Fantastic. Oh, there's an echo. There's an echo. Amanda Hay. Hey. If not, we'll if just, not delete him. just delete him. Photoshop. Is he stalking us? Actually, Vanda Hay. There's reverb here now. Reverb Hold on one now. second. On there's Vanda Hay down there. Oh, there's Seth. What's up, Seth? Hold on. Where's Can you turn on their camera without the permission? That might be awkward, I guess. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could possibly turn on their camera without them. <laughs> there you go. Van Day has been getting a lot of uh, uh, jobs with one of his imperfect action. We might uh, have him on here if he uh, wants to turn it on for a second. All right, here we go, everybody. Big thumbs up into your cameras. Mouth is open. All right, I can roll. Um, Actually, yeah, Van Hay, before Ryan goes, Ryan, you're muted. Hold on. I, I muted everybody. Van Hay, uh, you got your mic? Van Hay? Oh, I can hear you. Oh, he's got to get his headphones. Um, anyways, Van Hay took some imperfect action. This started last Thursday, but I believe he sent a thing to the Jump Circle group message and said, hey, here's this message I put out on uh, Facebook uh, about you know doing Zoom stuff, actually, Melinda, doing some Zoom stuff for the clients, and Van Day, you'll be able to talk on this. But like the first few hours, he'd already lined up a couple hundred dollars in people, and today he's like, oh, I've not been able to be as present because I've been having all these conversations with people. So how's that been going, real quick, Van Day? Before uh, yeah, so just a little context. Um, let me turn off this other one real fast. Let me, let me oh, I see. yeah, you got some echo there again. <laughs> Oh, that's difficulties. It's playing in the background on a different computer. Sorry, I'm working on one computer and listening on the other. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's see. So, yeah, to give some context, basically, uh, going into this whole crazy COVID, uh, you know, thing where we can't go out and shoot, we had the bright idea that, um, you know, a lot of our people and clients like that could still shoot videos on their cell phones. You know, they could use their cell phone at home to shoot some videos and we can create some content um, around that, you know, where they just send us the video file and we chop off the ends, add some music, take out some ums and ahs, add a couple of motion graphics, all that fun stuff, just so they can keep, you know, constant video stuff going because that's kind of the route we've gone um, recently with some of our clients just to, you know, for the personal branding kind of stuff, right? Um, yeah, so last week we had this genius idea, call it, I call it genius, probably not, but uh, to, uh, to uh, basically have them shoot that, send it over to us, and then we just do, you know, that kind of thing. But to get them involved, we, you know, we posted up a flyer and just like, hey, as little as 50 bucks, because we figure on average these videos realistically are going to take 15 to 30 minutes to edit. Um, and, you know, it's 50 bucks to 100 and something, and then they, you know, they, they can get multiple videos. They shoot, you know, five or six videos or whatever. Um, we'll, we'll just pop those out for them and then we can set up Facebook ads in the back end and everything for them. And uh, we just kind of wrote a script out for like a Zoom call to kind of um, 
you know, basically, you know, ask them why they're wanting to do video, you know, and just do like an in-home consultation of like, where's the best lighting, where's the best audio, you know, how to hold the camera, you know, proximity, um, suggest, suggest some mics to get from Amazon and stuff that'll work with a cell phone because they are different than the ones that work with like, you know, Zoom recorders and stuff. Um, and that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, we just popped out to an email list of a bunch of realtors. We had about 3000 um, and uh, instantly like with, you know, within like maybe an hour, we were starting to get emails instantly saying like, this is perfect timing. We were just talking about this. Oh no, I spent two hours this afternoon trying to figure out how to add graphics to my videos and stuff. So this is perfect for that price point and stuff. And we're like, oh, okay, well this is getting some traction pretty quick. So, um, you know, my week was more or less open except for this stuff, you know, today and tomorrow. And, uh, you know, all of yesterday and today, I've pretty much been on Zoom calls with people doing in these in-home consultations uh, to start getting them video content and stuff produced. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been it's been pretty impactful, you know, just trying to get creative in a situation like this where we can't technically go out and shoot. But like Ryan was saying, we can still be of service to people to keep their marketing machines rolling by doing something, you know, an R and something simple, um, you know, and it generates a little bit of money in this time. But it's also something that's affordable enough for them so they can still be conservative with their funds, uh, but as well as, um, you know, keep their marketing machines and branding machines going so they're not, you know, just disappearing for three months, you know, because right now is a great time to keep that, you know, that going because everybody's talking about coronavirus right now. So the second you're talking about something different, it kind of breaks through that noise of all the stuff that's going. So actually right now, where a lot of people are dialing back on what they're doing, it's actually a great time to actually take leaps forward and market more and come out of the gates. Plus, uh, at, at Facebook ads, prices have dropped <laughs> pretty drastically. So they're, they're, about, they're about half price what they were even a month ago. Um, so they kind of fell with the market a little bit. So we're trying to do that. And I got to actually fill Seth in on this idea because it might be coming a, a, a regular offering that we're doing um, because agents are in the moment and they just shoot something on their video and they can just instantly upload it to us real fast and we can get it, you know, well, cut Chris, together in 24 hours. Chris, don't forget also that you're the one that came to them with the idea. You're the one that came with the solution. You're the one that reached out. Sure. And people remember that and they will remember that when things quiet down. That, yeah, you know, well, that's... That's kind of our idea too, is we're trying to do like little things now that in the long run are much more beneficial, you know, cause this just gets them into used to working with us, you know, and today I had a 45 minute zoom with this Laura Davis, you know, um, broker. She actually owns an eight, the realtor agency. And, uh, you know, she comes from a PR background. So she already has a couple scripts and ideas and stuff, you know, so she was a little bit ahead of the curve and we were still bringing her ideas and, you know, kind of giving her some, you know, some thoughts and stuff like that on this whole thing. Um, and she has a full-time videographer they typically use for that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, she really likes some of the stuff that we're doing too. So we might actually even but, be But there's the thing. <laughs> I want to chime in, right? I would chime in. There's the thing. Likelihood probability is high. Regular videographer has sat and gone on hiatus because he doesn't mm -hmm. know what to do, what to say, how to help, how to serve. And so the amount of times I've, and you've, we've talked about this, Van A, but have gotten work through the fact that the videos that they were like the video company that people were using are incredible videos, but the person, their business, their being able to, you know, that, I mean, I definitely probably, I had to lean real heavy, Ryan, obviously, right on my charisma and my ability to you know, win somebody over back in the day, because the areas I was weak, I was pretty weak. And if I didn't have a real strength in my, when you actually interacted with me, I'd been losing people because the people I've seen that have great work, but they're just unfriendly, ungrateful, not helpful, bad attitude people. The people, once they experience, it's that like, you know, you wouldn't appreciate the sun if there were no darkness. It's like, well, once somebody experiences me, they're like, yeah, I got this videographer. He's great, but 
my gosh, like I'll take a little less quality work even to work with you. Like you're a breath of fresh air. And, and so Chris coming out going, my videographer didn't come up with that idea. My videographer didn't reach out. You know, we can't even use my videographer right now, but this, oh, now look how helpful Chris is. And now- Yeah, and to, to echo Ryan's thought on the actual distribution of it all has been one of the most impactful things that we've been finding lately because so many times we've done these, you know, five to $10,000 jobs, these videos, and all of a sudden it goes and sits on their hard drive. And not only do they not get an ROI on that because they're not knowing how to utilize it, but then we spend all this time and put our love and, you know, love and time into something and never get seen. So that's actually more detrimental to me as like a creative than anything. So kind of facilitating that distribution aspect on the back and with doing the Facebook ads, with showing them how to do this stuff, or maybe taking that off their hands and stuff has actually been more impactful than like I think Ryan was saying earlier than actually creating the damn video in the first place. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, I, I've gotten to a point in the years past where I was like, what am I doing? Like I've got to help these people because these videos are, they're not getting distributed. So I, I would, I would even stop before someone hires me and I'd say, look, we're going to have a very serious conversation about distribution and what I call content delivery. And people were like, Oh, you can help with that. And I was like, hell yeah, I'm going to help with that because it's going to benefit you. And it's going to benefit me. Like you've got to see value in what you've done and what your, your board member spent 10 grand on or 15 or 25 or whatever. Like you're always in a position of trying to make sure that you're building value with this crazy thing called video, because oftentimes these decision makers don't value video. They don't care. They don't consume content. They're not even, I got a lady from a nonprofit. It's not even on Facebook. And I was like, is that going to be a problem? And she's like, well, I don't know. I don't know if I value it very much. And I'm like, oh shit, this is going to be a long, <laughs> you know? So it's, it's paramount to be having those conversations about content. Delivery. Yeah. And even, even coming from their why too, the first question on my zoom script is why are you creating this video? What is your intention? Cause it gets them a little bit thought process and doing, cause they hear take keep hearing it all these things, do video, do video, do video, do video. And to us, that's second nature. You know, you think about loading up your car to go shoot something set up, you know, you're sitting there looking at composition, exposure, ISO, shutter speed, light balance, all that stuff all the time. That's like a 10,000 step process, right? To us, it's second nature not to be doing it. To them, they have no idea what that is. Even something adding something as a text graphic on something that lady said she spent two hours trying to find. So now she's willing to be like, oh, you can solve this problem for me. It's a one-stop shop. I shoot the video, send it over to you and it's done and it looks like this. All right, cool. It's a little bit more cleaned up. Um, you know, so kind of facilitating that and getting them to take some stake into like why they're doing video because they keep hearing, oh, I should do video. I just keep hearing about it. Okay, so what's your audience? You know, who's your clients? You know, who are you looking for? Why? You know, all this other stuff that gets them actually thinking about it. Um, because so many people keep hearing. Don't oh, underestimate. Do yeah, don't underestimate how little people know. It's incredible. I mean, there's a difference between a good, like a salesperson and a marketer. Yeah. And the more you can realize and communicate how good of a marketer you are, the more successful you're going to be. Because my God, there are stuff that everyone on this call right now is thinking about ideas that they have, solutions that they have, that people that are getting paid a hell of a lot more than we are as directors of marketing or directors of sales. They don't have any freaking good ideas, right? Cause they don't think like a marketer and they're not challenging themselves to think like a marketer. But I want to really challenging their clients. Well, yeah, I, I mean, they're making the clients do the hard work. <laughs> I wanna, yeah. Well, I want to chime in too, just to continue to bring awareness of the, the journeys like Vandy, I've already brought you up, but you know, the way you're speaking, I mean, Ryan, you were there <laughs> when, you know, 2011, 2012, Vandehey, like was Vandehey having that kind of 
intellectualized conversation with you around video production and clients. You know? No, we were having much more fun conversations. <laughs> yeah. Why, why do you smell like booze two days out of the week, Chris? <laughs> Everybody yeah. can change. Good old days. Evolves. Yeah, I appreciate Good it. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. Well, Ronnie should be on here soon. I'm just going to finish up. Uh, I mean, we can ask any other questions. Chris, if you have anything else? Anybody if anybody else? wants to see this too, it's nothing special, but I'm going to share my uh, Zoom script that I'm kind of like talking through the people with really sure. fast too. Ooh, um, yeah. So well, I just want to thank that. everybody for uh, taking some time out of their schedule to let me be on here and chat with you all. I hope it was helpful and um Hopefully it made sense a little bit. And obviously everyone is more than welcome to reach out to me in any capacity. Um, I love any opportunity to chat with someone and help them be successful and figure out a solution. All right, thanks. Oh, I can't share my screen right now. Oh, here. I, I can share it in the chat or something. Well, I mean, hold on. Let's see. Put it in the chat, probably. Uh, one second here. I'll make you a little co-hoster for a second. Yeah. And that should allow you to have the features to... I work for you? Uh, yep, sure did. Share. So yeah, it's like I said, nothing special, but it just kind of you know shows that preface of some of the some of the stuff we go, you know, kind of setting the expectations and stuff like that. The question before we get started, I wanted to ask you, you know, what are you trying to accomplish with the videos? Um, and then here we kind of get into the consultation of just, and we're only trying to do like a 30 minute quick consultation with them, you know, just to kind of get the ball rolling more or less, uh, you know, it, it kind of just, like I said, sets the expectation, gets, you know, their, where they should film more or less that, you know, with like some good lighting, you know, get some good audio, um, you know. Uh, it's good. It's good. Chris. Yeah, and give, give them some Did ideas. Help you put this together. Too. Or who, put huh? the, who put this together? You or Nick help you do this? I put I put like the whole skeleton together and they kind of fleshed out some more like they put in like the quotes like more of like a script aspect, which you know I don't go off of ever. <laughs> so my yeah, conversations could, are never could, uh if you could share this in the uh jump circle group thing and then I'll yeah. also put this uh in the jump start stories as well sure. people. That'd be great. Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because cool. I just kind of get some ideas and stuff too. Because, I mean, that's one of the things we've been finding, too, is everybody always wants to talk about business. And we're like, it's 80-20, actually. You want to talk 80% fun, you know, entertaining stuff and 20% business, you know. So, like, a tips or a trick or an educational video or, you know, Lauren today we were talking and she has a five-year-old at home. Like, dude, you know how many other parents are first-time homebuyers that have, you know, five-year-olds or whatever? You are second-time homebuyers or whatever? You should do a fun video of just, like, how to keep your kid, you know, from, you know, entertained while they're, you know, home. <laughs> yeah, Awesome. Perfect. Chris, appreciate you, brother. Thanks, man.